Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. <laughs> Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. Back at it again for Christmas season. Gotta bring some of that holiday cheer or jeer, whatever we're bringing. Fear, <laughs> holiday fear. Yeah, the holiday ho-ho horror, as it were. <laughs> Oh, boy, and there are a lot of hoes that we witnessed in these movies. <laughs> that's uh, that's what you get into whenever you get in the slasher season. I feel like they were unintentional hoes, though, honestly. I, I don't think they deserve the hoe title, only because they um, weren't hoeing. Yeah, more so, yeah, I mean, maybe. there. There's one one of the films we're discussing that, that I would say probably there's a hoe in there. But, like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it just dawned on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you've seen some movies recently. What 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 did you end up watching? I finally, without being forced to or for any kind of, you know, show coming up, watched some horror movies while I was getting a tattoo. Now I needed these horror films. I needed the distraction. Uh, La Arena does not handle pain. That's why you always hear me crying. I'm, you think I'm crying for my children? Uh, I'm crying because my back hurts, uh, you know, my hip. I slept, I slept on a pillow wrong. Um, <laughs> sometimes I cry for the children. But I am lately crying because of the pain of the tattoo that I chose to get. <clears throat> Regrets were had, but lessons were not learned. I will be back to get some color. So, But while getting this tattoo... I was able to watch Smile, uh, and that was my tattoo artist's, like, recommendation. Like, he was like, hey, have you seen Smile? And I was like, no, if you have it, pop that bitch on because I need to watch it. <laughs> loved it. Uh, unofficial, uh, you know, response is that I, I loved it. <clears throat> uh, I think that I was kind of set up with some low expectations because I had been hearing some people just say that just really distaste for it like it should have never been made and it was such a waste of time um i i, I disagree obvious ones it's like it's just a rip off of either it follows or the ring so why bother and you know yeah yeah there was that whole seven day period of i have to figure this out or else i think how they handled it was nice a little <clears throat> a little predictable a little but even with what i thought was going to happen and I won't really spoil or anything uh it the way that they executed everything was so cool loved the death scenes and the fake death scenes I mean I was having a good time <laughs> a good yeah, time the, um the thing that kills me is that people always throw out there it's like oh it's like this movie it's like that movie 
just because something takes from other sources doesn't mean that that it shouldn't be attempted. And one of the movies that we're going to be discussing on the podcast um, was the source of inspiration for the biggest slasher movie in history. So, um, I, I mean, and I'll, I'll get to that in the trivia, but I mean, you know, it, just because, you know, it, that movie took what, you know, one of the movies from this podcast, you know, did and ran with it doesn't mean that it was just a copycat or it shouldn't have been made. I mean, it clearly yeah. set off a whole trend. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with Inspired By. And if you if you really look into a film, these directors, these creators, these writers will be honest with you and say, hey, I was inspired by this. I was inspired by this. And I respect the fuck out of that. I mean, there it's it's totally awesome if they take that and uh, but they make like no material with it. And I mean, yes, there are concepts from either it follows or from uh, the ring, especially that are in this. But as we discussed, I mean, even the ring, it very likely took a lot of its uh, inspiration, at least the book did, from the changeling. So I mean, it, yeah. one thing copies another, copies another. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, the inspiration is all around us. I will say this: the ring had its own like shocking moments that made the film so you walked out of there like almost you wanted to be numb. You just didn't want to feel anything because you're just like, what the fuck did I just witness? Um, and they were so good with their marketing. Uh, same with could be said about Smile, but I mean we're talking about two completely different things. Like even their their shock scenes and their scare scenes were nothing like each other. I mean you could say that every scary movie. Oh, the stupid shock scenes. Oh, the loud music playing. Whatever. Okay, like that's gonna happen. Well, I think they both did a great job on their own. I agree. The one thing that that reminded me of the other complaint that I've heard people say, if they wasn't talking about the copycat portion or, you know, factor, uh, they, there's a lot of people that's mentioned, Oh, it's just a bunch of jump scares. Mm. They are such good jump scares in yeah. that movie that I saw one of them in the trailer and I still jumped whenever yes. I saw it in the movie. Yes, I know which one you're talking about. And I wouldn't even call them jump scares. I would just refer to them as scares. So they, they were yeah. good. They're effective. Well, the, the, and I think I mentioned this whenever I kind of did my little mini review of it, uh, you know, a few episodes ago. Uh, the one thing that I liked about it was that there's tension built up between each jump scare. You are not let off the hook at any Mm-mm. point during this movie. No, nope, you really don't get recovery time. Even when you think you're having recovery time, um, you're not prepared. Uh, nothing will prepare you. And, yeah, I mean, the mixture of emotions. The I think the actress, the main actress, did such a great job of playing a not-crazy, crazy person. If I remember right, I think she's, like, uh, maybe, like, Kevin Bacon's daughter or something. Oh, she looks like Kira Sedgwick, which is Kevin Bacon's wife. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I'm pretty sure that's Kevin Bacon's daughter that's in that movie. Oh, you know what? I am going to look this up right now because that is not information you can drop and us not address it. Uh, Sosi Bacon. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, go with go. that's Kevin Bacon's daughter. Um, the other actress, the first, the, the one that's on the poster and the probably the one you see smiling everywhere, Caitlin Stacy, Stacy, Stacy. Um, she, she just, she's so pretty, but she is so creepy looking. <laughs> <laughs> um. There was another movie you watched besides Smile. What was the, What was that film? Before I even mention this film, I don't remember you ever 
trying to tell me to watch this. Have you? Because you were so excited. You're like, finally, you've seen it. And I'm like, wait, you've recommended a million movies to me, so I can't say you didn't. But is this something that you were like, you're going to like this? Um, I think at one point in time, I might have mentioned in passing that I, I at least the first movie in the series. Okay. Um, now, I have a bit of disappointing news. I did not see the first one because talking to the tattoo artist, he's like, hey, have you seen The Babysitter? This was after I had gotten over the, uh, the smile. And I think the distraction of the scary movies, because I was enjoying the kills so much, he was like, oh, this is awesome because I was clearly in pain, but I wasn't complaining. And if, in fact, well, Smile, I didn't, I don't think I laughed once <clears throat> in Smile. I was more irritated at no one believing her. But in The Babysitter, Killer B or Killer Queen, excuse me. Killer Queen. <laughs> Killer yeah. Queen. Um, I was laughing so much and I had overall just an amazing time watching this film. But I told him, I was like, do I need to watch the first one to understand what's going on in the second one? The answer is yes no. and no. Um, I guess, I mean, I you, you kind of would have gotten the you breakdown. You have more of a connection to Samara Weaving's character yes. that comes in toward the end, but that's the only yes. real thing that you really need. Yeah, and now was the uh, my the only question I have was the scary nurse that gave, uh, I guess Samara uh, gave her 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 demonic possession, if you will. Was she in the first movie or was she just in the second movie? Was that just to explain how she? I think it was in the second movie because okay. in the first movie, I'll just give you the gist of the setup in the first movie. Um, the main character, the boy that's in the second one, mm -hmm. he's in love, and and he was also in a, in this movie, great movie called Summer of '84. But anyways, like he's <clears throat> he is uh, he's in love with his babysitter. I mean, you know, his young boys, you know, that are entering puberty are. Oh, and she's and, a freaking um, supermodel. There's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's gorgeous. But um, one night whenever he's supposed to be, you know, like just staying home and he's just getting a little too old for it. But, I mean, he thinks he's going to try to make a move on her. She invites all these friends over and it just so happens that she is, you know, made or they've all made like this deal with Satan that they'll get whatever they want as long as they sacrifice a virgin. And he just happens to be <laughs> one. And so he spends the rest of the movie uh basically trying to get away from them but also trying to kill them because that they won't like you know they they keep coming after him yeah and the second movie picks up from that and just kind of runs with it okay so it was perfect uh and my tattoo artist is, does agree with you he was like I don't really think you need to watch the first one to understand the second he geared me towards the second one a little bit more probably because he wanted to see our one and only <laughs> Wednesday Adams. Uh, yeah. AKA, yeah. oh God, why can't I think of the actress right now? Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega. I should know that. Uh, shame on me. But, um, yeah, so, uh, enjoyable movie from beginning to end. Uh, horror, rom-com, uh, that's my jam. It really is. And it's got a lot of comedy, especially with, um, and I'm blanking on her name, but, uh, the mm -hmm. semi-porn actress, the redhead that they have in the movie that plays, like, oh. she wants to be like a... Um, she wants to be like a newscaster or whatever, but she's dumb as rocks. And like, she's, I mean, like she's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, so the cast, which, I mean, I was enjoying all of the cast. Okay. So uh, you're talking, you're talking about, um, oh God, why can't I, uh, Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne. Yes. And I was talking about how she's yes. kind of a, a, a hoe bag to the tattoo artist. Emily Allen Lind, who played Melanie, 
in uh, The Babysitter, uh, the first and the second one, because she was in both. She reminds me of the wife of the paraplegic in Family Guy. <laughs> she, she just has that look. Or, or any hot girl that's ever in Family Guy. She looks, it's like the same drawing, if you will. She's got yeah, that, that I look. I think I know what you're talking about. Yes. Um, Samara Weaving reminds me of, who's the actress that played, um, I don't even know if you would think about it without me even giving you any clue. She looks like another actress, really gorgeous, tall, blonde actress. Can you think of any similar actresses? If not, I'll tell you. Mm, not off the top of my head. I don't know where you're going with that one. Okay. <clears throat> Let me see if I can just get the actress's name. Well, okay. I, I, it did. Oh yeah, Margot Robbie. There it goes. Oh, okay. Does she I not? Because I see that. Okay, I thought it was Margot Robbie at first. But my biggest issue with Samara Weaving is I've seen the Lord of the Rings too many times. Oh, and okay. She looks a lot like her dad, Hugo Weaving. You oh know, God. Like the Elrond. I mean, <laughs> pre a pretty female version. Don't get yes. me wrong, but she, there, there's a lot of similarities between the two of them. Um, um, Robbie Amell, who is Stephen Amell's brother, a cousin, I think. Oh, cousin. cousin, at least, yeah, according to when he was on Arrow, I remember the two of them, like, you know, and I, and I thought with the last name, but no, he's like a cousin to him, okay, like, yeah. a, like first cousin, though. I mean, they look alike, yeah, he's know, like so. a mixture of Tom Cruise and <laughs> Stephen Amell had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved all the characters. I liked how the guys were the dumb, the girls were dumb, or whenever they had their smart moments. Uh, Leslie Bibb, I could not watch her without thinking that she was Ricky Bobby's wife. Carly here's Bobby. Something that, that, <laughs> here's something that always cracks me up about this movie and the first one. So Hannah Mae Lee, who plays uh, Sonya in it, mm -hmm. um, she is in Pitch Perfect. Okay. And if you watch those movies... There's the through line in them that she is, I mean, and it plays out through all three of them because she gets like deep, uh, you know, like the possession leaves her in the third movie. But it's it's hinted at that she's like possessed by a demon. And it's just hilarious oh seeing God. her in this because it's almost like it's the same character. Yeah. Just, you know. She is possessed <laughs> by a demon. Yes. Yeah, so we were not going to have a cold open. We were not. Uh, that wasn't the plan. We were going to get straight to the Christmas films, but. I it's rare that I watch horror films in between, and it was like, oh, we have to talk about this. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I've had to hear your uh, takes on them because, I mean, like you said, I've heard so many people trying to give shit to smile, mm -hmm. and I don't understand it. it. It was one of my favorites of this year, and it's been a good year for horror movies. It, I mean, has. it really has. Yeah, so, um, yeah, unofficial review of both of those movies is I love them both, especially, I mean, I, I loved Smile for the Scares. I loved uh, I loved the Babysitter uh, Killer Queen for the 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 kills and the which is definitely a slasher film, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And the and the cheesy jokes, the comedy, basically the rom com. I didn't care so much about the romance. Uh, in fact, I must have gone to the bathroom room. We must have been taking a break when I did not even notice that Cody had lost his virginity. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's like a last-minute thing that, that they they crawl inside a place long enough or, or something, which is similar to that old Jim Carrey movie yes. with Bitten because, like, toward the end of that movie, she's going to drain him of all his blood, and then his girlfriend's like, the fuck you are, and they hop in a coffin yeah. like 30 seconds later. It's like, can't get that virgin blood now. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I told my tattoo artist, and he was like, what? And I was like, okay, I know you know this movie because you're, like, just two, three years older than me, so... Shout out to Mario um, if he's listening to us because uh, I was telling him about the podcast. So, <laughs> um, I I did watch one that I didn't include on the last podcast called Perfect Blue. I mean, I'm not going to bring up much about it, um, it, other than the fact that I was surprised when I started reading about it that it was like the the movie that inspired talking about inspirations. Um, the it inspired Black Swan, like almost to the point of it being a ripoff, or Black Swan being a ripoff of Perfect Blue. And Perfect Blue, for anybody that doesn't know, is actually an anime that yeah. came out in like the late '90s, I believe it was. Um, total mindfuck of a film. It's definitely a human horror. So. Oh yeah, it's called a psychological thriller. Yeah, um, there's a lot. There's a there's a crazy stalker slash uh, slasher in the movie uh, that may or may not be real so i mean you're kind of going through all that that kind of thing with it it's it's pretty well done and uh hearing the director go over it after the fact and reveal all of his like because he, he had a good point he's like if you have a regular movie he said you can have happy little mistakes where maybe like a cloud like looks like some kind of thing visually that you know is a, a symbol that's representing the movie but he said when you make an anime you choose what goes in that. You choose what they look like. So he said, if anime is done right, every single frame will have a significant meaning to the plot and, and to the actual overall theme of the story. And it blew my mind because he started talk, talking about even these fish that she has in her aquarium, like, are symbolic of, like, something about her. So I'm like, damn, like, this yeah. guy knows his shit. Um, <laughs> just so you know, I mean, not, not, not that you would be surprised, but across the board, we're talking about Google IMDb, uh, anime um, re- review, and Rotten Tomatoes, all of them 80 to 85%. So uh, it's averaging about 80%, we'll say, uh, across the board. Uh, Google users all gave it a 95%, everyone who's rated this film. So this is highly recommended by everyone, it looks like. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, even if you don't like anime, it's not one of those goofy, like, woo-woo animes that they make fun of all the time <laughs> on TikTok. Um, it's, it's a legit movie. I mean, and, and there's a lot of thought put behind everything in it. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, the only other thing I was going to mention besides that is that speaking of TikTok, I, I just like a couple of days ago, saw like some kind of TikTok supposed like psychologist talking about how people who watch horror films, it's like their way of coping with high levels of anxiety. Oh. And like, you know, uh, <laughs> she went on to say that, um, cause people started pointing out, it's like, why would I watch something that makes me anxious to deal with my anxiety? And she's like, well, actually what you're doing is that you're, you're, you're looking for comfort and your body is used to anxiety. So it looks for anxious things that makes you anxious. So you watching a horror film is like you, you're taking your body back to its natural state, which is, you know, or something to that effect. And I'm like, I don't know if any of this bullshit's true, but I mean, I do relax quite a bit to horror films. So, yeah. Do you think that it's like a coping mechanism? Because we, for the most part, the way that you and I seem to function and how we deal with stressful situations, we fucking get through it. 
Whereas everybody else, you see them posting, oh, my God, can I just catch a break in life? Oh, my God, I why can't things just be so easy? And that's never anything. We're just like, okay, let's just – and not saying that we're great or anything. It's just like we soldier on. And I'm like, is that – because we – that is, is it because of the horror film? Are we able to, is it because we're witnessing people that soldier on in these films, you know? I think it, I think that has something to do with it. I think it's, you know, when you're watching movies like this, I mean, you're, you're seeing people and, and, you know, in the worst time of their lives there and they're trying to cope with it and you're kind of in there and you're in the mix with them. And so it gives you a little bit better. I mean, even if it doesn't give you an over better overall view that kind of lets you step back and say, okay, this, you know, is not the biggest problem. Ever, yeah. Like some people freak out about it. Just, it gives you those like, you know, it, it gives you, it's, it's almost like a, a version therapy. It's like, you've seen so much of it that, I mean, not, not a bad way, but you're almost numb to some of it. It's yeah. Like, okay. I've, I've seen, you know, bad enough things. This is, we're fine. This is fine. Well, we do joke uh, consistently that we're numb. That meme with a dog that's in the burning cafe, you know. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, an, that's not a joke. <laughs> that's a real thing. I don't know. Um, I, I think that it makes some sense. Uh, and then it's also a good way kind of like to go behind what you just said of, well, I thought I was having a bad day, but I'm not being chased by a serial killer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> speaking of that, let's uh, let's open this up and let's get into this. All right. everyone and welcome back to death holler i'm your host the reverend dr death and joining me as always is the crazed santa cosplaying killer that lives in my attic la urena how many carolers did you slay last night urena? <laughs> slay all day <laughs> <laughs> um none that i'm aware of or that i will admit to so there's that <laughs> Yeah, that keeps the cops away, at least. That's yeah. a good good way to think about it. Well, apparently, according to this movie, they're not going to find me in the attic anyway, so. <laughs> well, alert. well that, that's that's true. They won't they won't scour the house. They won't find the, you know, where the bodies are at. It's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's Christmas time again, and what better way to celebrate than to discuss a few Christmas-themed slashers. Tonight, we will be reviewing the movie that is considered by many to be the first-ever slasher, as well as a couple of Santa-themed slashers from the 80s. Hang your stockings by the chimney with care and pray you aren't on Sa Santa's naughty list, or else this will be a night you'll soon regret. This episode, we are breaking down Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night, and its sequel. First up, if you are enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it. If you would take the time to like, comment, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Also, consider following us on social media. You can find us at TikTok and Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's attack some bees. What is that? What is that? What is that? 
I would be agreeing with, uh, with the great Nicolas Cage right now, but this movie has a lot of boobies in it, so <laughs> not my eyes. <laughs> Don't open till Christmas from 1984. With a lot of Directed. boobies? It sounds like a movie that uh, Donnie G re- watched and is going to review. <laughs> I think you downloaded the wrong by movie. The way, <laughs> by the way, I didn't ask you, does he have one for this episode? Uh, um, I don't think so. I don't, at least I don't remember. <laughs> okay, I didn't remember seeing anything either. I just want to make sure. There's plenty enough boobs from the movies we're discussing that he can take a, a week off, so we're fine. Yeah, that or, you know, he could actually watch one of the regular films and have plenty to talk about. <laughs> That's true. He could have He could have done a rating for us on these. Yeah. Uh, Don't Open Till Christmas, directed by Edmund Purdom, uh, written by Alan Alan Birkinshaw and Derek Ford, music by Des Dolan. Principal players, uh, Edmund Do- uh, Purdom, you know, the director, uh, playing the main one of the main characters, Inspector Harris, uh, who's a detective at New Scotland Yard trying to solve the Santa Claus killer uh, killing spree that's going on in old London town. Uh, we have Alan Late playing Giles. Uh, says he's a newspaper columnist, but uh, he's sus as hell. So <laughs> don't don't trust that guy. Uh, we have Belinda Maine playing Kate. She sees her father in full Santa get up, get a spear through his head at a Christmas party, and spends the rest of the movie trying to find his killer. All right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mark Jones, uh, Detective Sergeant Powell, is uh, working with Harris to find the killer. Uh, seems to give more of a shit about actually doing that job than the Inspector Harris is, by the way. We have Jerry Sunquist playing Cliff Boyd, uh, boyfriend to Kate. Thinks the best way to help Kate move on from her father's death is to take her to a Christmas-themed porn shoot. So, okay. Watch your father get <laughs> speared in the head and watch a woman give somebody some head. Yeah, it's a, and in a Santa outfit. That's yeah. just what you want to see after you know your your father was killed in a Santa Claus costume. She's getting speared. <laughs> the symbolism, I can't take it. Oh my god! Kelly Baker playing experienced girl, uh, which is code word for stripper. But in this case, the she's the final girl as well. So the final girl's a stripper in this movie. You got to give them credit for that. Okay, so she's a stripper girl. She's not a porn star. Uh, no, this is actually a different woman okay. than the one who, uh, I'm getting ready to say, Pat Astley plays Sharon, who is the porn actress, is down to get with Cliff and or Kate. She hints that she would get with both of them if Kate was willing. Oh, okay. Um, she dresses in a Santa outfit oh. at the wrong time, and she's a contender with Linnea Quigley for the most time topless spent in a film that we're discussing this evening. That has got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know who beat who on this but both of them showed their tits through like at least five to ten minutes of the movie so i it good on them i guess what okay when was this movie made uh 1984 84 okay that mean that was a time of boobies as we're clearly witnessing um <laughs> me so more than anything but like like some of these women, like to this day, will admit I was perfectly comfortable. I was perfectly fine. I wonder how many were just like, I needed a paycheck and like I was not comfortable, but I made it happen, you know? Yeah. You wonder how many err on the side of being like uh, Janet Lee, you know, Lee yeah. or whatever from, you know, or versus Linnea Quigley, who was perfectly fine to get nude in all of her films because 
she knew what she had going on. So. Yeah, I mean, that's why the good Lord did not give me my body to my older age, because he knew I would be a ho-ho-hoin. <laughs> Anywhere. In some kind of Christmas-themed slasher movie, that's right. Speaking of ho-ho-ho, the hubby just walked in. <laughs> you going to join us, baby? All right. Uh, All right, go ahead. um, Synopsis, it's Christmas time in old London town, but there's a killer on the loose, and he seems to have it out for Santa Claus. Scotland Yard struggles to put an end to the murders as the corpse count continues to climb. Spears fly through heads. Santa peens are severed. (laughs) (laughs) And they are, believe me. And chestnuts won't be the only thing roasting on an open fire. Uh, This Christmas, it's Santa who better watch out. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, there's a there. All the Santas in this movie, by the way, are all like wretched drunks or bums. Oh shit! And it makes it that much funnier that they're all getting killed and like. And there's some pretty good kills in the movie. I got to give them credit for that. I mean, they just out of nowhere, the 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 killer comes out with a the razor blade and just slices one's you know dick off as they're taking a piss in the urinal. There you go. I mean, that's what they do. What the fuck? <laughs> Um, Are you look confused, I, babe? This is Attack of the Bees movie. What's the movie? It's called uh, Reverend. Can you give us the uh, d- Don't Open Till Christmas? I've never seen it. It's a yeah B movie. Lots of boobies. <laughs> B- bees. If I had to describe it, it was te- it's technically a slasher, but it is heavily, heavily modeled after those Jallos that we just got through covering. Because I mean, the killer. The killer wears one of those masks that almost looks like the mask that the girl wears in Alice Sweet Alice. So it's kind of a weird in-between movie, to be honest with you. Um, but it has all the tropes. It even has a final girl. Like I said, she's a stripper, which is forward-thinking for, I mean, but this was made in Britain. So their concept of a, a slasher wasn't exactly what the Amer- the Reagan-era American ones were. So, I, you know, that, that that's probably why they went that route with it. Um, Nick Cage writing for this. I'll give it a honeymoon Vegas. It's okay for what it is. Uh, there's a few highlights here and there. Like I said, I like the kills. Plenty of boobies if you're looking for that. It kind of drags, though. Got to oh. be honest. In the middle, especially. It's one of those things where it's like when the kills come up, they kind of give little highlights. And the ending's really, really strange. Like the director, he was getting a little too uppity or whatever toward the end he was like trying to make it a little too artsy for what the movie was i felt so um but there's uh, you know that but that's basically what it is it's it's all right i mean with a few highlights here and there i love honeymoon in vegas (laughs) i'm going to give a shout out though another nick cage rating it doesn't apply to this movie but i'm going to give the lord of war rating to the u.s government and if anybody wants to research that they can do it at their own time i'm just going to say that they have conducted the most famous wnba trade in human history so there you go congrats u.s government you did a great job to somebody <laughs> good lord <laughs> um so we're ready to move on i mean since donny g's kind of had to you know uh go off on his uh, a little christmas break so i mean we're ready to move into the first movie if you i'm ready if you yeah, are spending fam sweet quality family time with the with the wife after a recent discovery of his wrong wrongfully downloaded <laughs> movies we're sure it was a mistake yeah surely he's i mean you've heard from him since then right i don't 
think I, I'm sure he's fine. Everything's fine. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. This is fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) First movie discussion this evening is Black Christmas. That's so incredibly racist. from 1974, we will get into the the two remakes, but a little bit. Uh, but primarily, we're discussing the the original, directed by Bob Clark, who is also famous for another uh, Christmas movie. Do you know what he directed other than this? No, I didn't research. A Christmas Story. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, written by Roy Moore, music by Carl Zittrer. Uh, it was made on a budget of six hundred twenty thousand U.S. dollars. Made eighteen point five million. Wait, so wait, wait, wait. What? Repeat that. Six hundred twenty thousand U.S. dollars to make, and it was. Uh, it, it ended up uh, made a. Its box office uh, take was eighteen point five million. Okay, not shabby at all, but definitely not a Bay of Blood. Profits. No, it's not bad blood numbers by any means. That movie, I don't I, just. There's that line from Dogma where somebody and this is Christmas themed. Somebody uh, is, a, you know, it's a Salma Hayek, you know, or uh, you know, demonic goddess from uh, from Dusk Till Dawn, and she's talking about. She's supposed to be amusing the movie, and she talks about all the top grossing movies that she helped inspire. Mm-hmm. And somebody mentions Home Alone to her, and she's like. She's like, no, she's like, that That was Satan. She's like, I wouldn't put my, you know, talent behind that piece of shit. So, whoa, <laughs> tell us how you really uh, feel. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that she was not the muse for Bay of Blood. I'm just all I'm saying. Okay. So, um, principal players for Black Christmas. We have Olivia Hussey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what what a name. Uh, she plays Jess in the movie, who is our first official final girl, everybody. Oh, I mean, yeah. she she is the ver- very first final girl. Very non-traditional, though. I mean, because, A, she's definitely not a virgin. Mm-hmm. That's one of the plot points in the movie. And uh, she, you know, even talks about having an abortion. I mean, you wouldn't have that going on in, you know, Reagan you know, era America and yeah. get by with it. Uh, and she mistakenly kills the wrong slasher or the wrong <laughs> stalker at the end of the movie. Or did she? <laughs> uh, I didn't realize this until after I started researching the movie she was in, but she was actually in Stephen King's It, the 1991 with Tim Curry. Wait, 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 say that again. She was in Stephen King's It, the 1990 miniseries that had oh. Tim Curry's Pennywise. Okay, miniseries. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wait, wait, she, yeah. Who was she? She was the the wife to Bill Denborough. Okay. Uh, that at the end of the movie, whenever she's caught in the deadlights, he has to ride her on his bicycle and, you know, try to you know, bring her back. Okay. He had to give her a pump. <laughs> Uh, she is a very prolific voice actress, though. She's been in Star Wars and DC animated films, to name a few. So she's done quite a bit of work since then. Yeah. And I totally forgot about this until after I started researching, but we just discussed her in another podcast this season. She was the very, very gross mother in Psycho 4, the beginning, the the TV movie, where she played the very pit pedophilic uh norma bates in that one the oh one that you know, was having her son like ice her down and everything I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brody. 
And she played in a, uh, I believe it was like early 2000s slasher movie called Ice Cream Man that had uh, uh, Clint Howard in it, Ron Howard's brother. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We have uh, Kira Dulea, who plays uh, Peter, Jess's boyfriend and baby daddy, the red herring of the movie. And uh, he just should have stopped stalking. Yeah. I mean, you, you keep stalking, you get, you know, you fuck around and find out. That's what happened to him. So. I did some research on this one because, I mean, it's this is common, especially back in these days of the films, that there's a huge age difference between the actors. And I don't know that there is or isn't with this particular actress and, or excuse me, Olivia Hussey and uh, Kier DeLay. But he looks... I thought for a minute he was like a professor at the college, and he is not. He was definitely a student. Well, he's been there for eight years. Yes. I, I know that. <laughs> That's why I thought like he was, I thought he was part of the department for eight, eight years. Uh, and I thought that that piano concerto he was doing was him trying to get out of there. But uh, which which piano concerto? The one that where he's actually playing the song, or the one where he was like beating it to death with the uh, the music stand? Well, beating it <laughs> with the music stand was way better than the actual concerto he performed for the three guys. So, <laughs> just had a better tone to it, you know. It had a little bass to it. Um, yeah, it was a little bit a little bit more upbeat, jazzy type. So thing. yeah, I never, I should. The only thing I didn't research was how much older this actor is compared to the actress, because he, like I said, he looked like a professor. He was not. He was, sir, you are too wrinkled to be a student. <laughs> uh, he was in some famous movies other than this. He was in a 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh wow, uh, that's his big big role. Um, and that's the reason they wanted him uh, in this. Actually, he, uh, they, uh, Bob Clark liked him, liked his role in that so much that, uh, and and it just, I mean, in this a little bit in the trivia section, but it just so happened that that Kier lived like his family lived like right next door to where they were filming anyway. So he was just like, yeah, I want to go visit my parents. I'll do your movie. That's literally how he got in this. Oh my god. Okay, wait. I got to pause. We have got our answer. He is. Kier DeLay is 16 years older than <laughs> Olivia Hussey. Yeah. So okay. there we go. That makes it even more creepy that he's sitting there telling her all this stuff. It's like, you're going to do this. You're going to keep the baby. You're going to drop out of school. And it's well, like, yeah, but mm-hmm. in the film, he's actually playing a student. He just wasn't playing a convincing student because he wasn't. No, he wasn't. If you, if you take the position, maybe he started going to college like around his early 20s and he's been there for eight years to put some moments in his 30s. And say she just got out of school and she's going to the university, that kind of actually makes a little more sense. I mean, yeah, that would make sense. Of course, none of that is explained. So uh, th- that's just us trying to explain it away. Uh, he was looking middle-aged. <laughs> explains why he was desperate. Like, yeah. we're going to settle down. Well, that's true. It's Well, I mean, let's admit it. Olivia Hussey is, is beautiful in this she's movie. She's beautiful so, I mean... and naturally beautiful, too. So, Yeah. Uh, he was also on the Thin Red Line from 1964. Uh, played the Sade in uh, in one of the movies, so that's funny that he played a character like that. Uh, it was in a ton of TV roles, and uh, he he's in a 2022 short film called Sonder. I don't know what that's about, but I just thought that was interesting that he's still you know acting this wow. many years on. So uh, we have Margot Kidder. Playing Barb, the chain-smoking booze hound, here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) (laughs) 
And of course, anybody who knows, Margot Kidder was in the Superman movies, the Richard Donner ones. Uh, she played Lois Lane. Uh, and she was in the Amityville Horror, the 1979 one. Um, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Uh, she was in an episode of Smallville. Shocker. <laughs> yeah, they got they got back all the old Superman people for that. Yeah, they, they could. did. And uh, she was tons of other TV, including Outer Limits and Tales from the Crypt. The real question she, is, did she get part of the sex cult? No, no, no. That wasn't all of Smallville. <laughs> no, she wasn't in, uh, oh, I can't remember the Nixum. name of that now. The, uh, Nexium, was that yeah, the name Nexium, of the, the yeah. cult? It just, it, it always blows my mind because that's the name of a, you know, a stomach medication. So every time <laughs> I hear it, I'm just like, it, it you know, I, I can't associate the two. It's just too weird. On a side tangent of Nixium, well, not Nixium, but the actress, we're not going to bring up her name or anything because I shouldn't even be discussing it. But it's crazy to see, and it's not necessarily a lie, but they talk like all the time in the Smallville podcast, how great of an actress she was and how professional she was and i think it just blows their mind that much more at how how this all came to be you know they're like she really could have gone somewhere she did she started a sex cult that's how (laughs) convincing she was if you worked if you worked with somebody and you were really close because i mean they they had to be on the type of scheduling that they because i mean you hear that all the time from tom welling about how many hours that he worked in particular it was like 16 hours a day or more yeah you're with somebody that long and you and they turn into a cult member later that's going to blow your mind you i don't know how a person deals with that like i mean that's a that's a crazy thing to think about yeah you're there with that person. You're in the same situation that they are. Uh, maybe not outside of work, but they didn't have that much time outside of work. So what, I mean, it's, you know, they're one step removed from the cult themselves. Yeah. Um, anyways, getting back to Margot Kidder, Margot Kidder is, there's a joke on, uh, I believe it's family guy where she's like, I believe it's supposed to be her. She's like, goes batshit crazy and like jumps out of a window for, <laughs> when she's talking to Peter and like just freaks out and runs to the yard, like jabbering to herself. She actually had a lot of mental problems wow. in her life. And, uh, she <gasps> suffered from bipolar schizophrenia and committed suicide in 2018. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Too bad um, Superman didn't save her. <laughs> oh, what if she thought, like, she's like, okay, I jump out, he's going to catch me, and he didn't. <laughs> because her schizophrenia told her, not because she wanted to die, okay? Um, I got to give her credit, though. I loved her character in this movie. Yeah. I really did. Uh, John Saxon plays Lieutenant Ken Fuller, uh, the detective yeah. trying, trying to find Claire and discover who's taking the obscene phone calls. There is John Saxon got cast as a cop in so many movies in the eighties that I mean, which is later than this. That it's I don't know if it's from this movie or if he was typecast in this movie too. But like he, I mean, he's in Nightmare on Elm Street one and three, and he's playing Nancy's dad, and he's a cop in that. I mean, um, he's in Enter the Dragon, uh, Nightmare Beach from Dusk Till Dawn, and Tenebrae, which is another of Dario Argento's. Uh, uh, giallos that he they he can't. So I mean, he John looks, Saxon was in a lot of stuff. He looks today. like he belonged in a gelato. He's a man, and dude, and Aaron the Dragon. He was slain. We'll see the whole movie. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, better. Yeah, I can hear you now. Hey, funny how you get kicked out, but yeah, my mic gets muted. <laughs> 
Yeah. But I, I, my internet decided to boot me. So there, there we were. That, That's what that I was, was wondering. Fun. That was fun. I don't think that, uh, wait, the actor that you're talking about, is he still alive? Uh, John Saxon. I don't think so. Mm, he heard you. He didn't like what you were saying. <laughs> or me, maybe. We were talking good about um, him. It was me. He just got mad at me. <laughs> uh, but what I was saying at the time that it completely booted me because I could still hear you guys was uh, we have Marion Waldman playing Mrs. Mack, the sorority mother in the closet drunk. <laughs> Hell yeah, she was a riot. <laughs> yeah, and she was. You're absolutely she had a right. Of booze everywhere in that house, everywhere, like it didn't and it was Sherry. What is Sherry? What? Why don't I know about this? It's like a wine. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a wine that they use to cook with more than anything, but you can still get drunk off of it. Okay, that's what I was confused about because I was like, isn't Sherry, isn't that something like used in like desserts or something like that? The answer to that is probably yes, but it can also be so much more. <laughs> yeah, she uh, yeah, she was definitely a highlight of this movie. Uh, we have Andrea Martin playing Phil, the uh, funny sorority member. Was she funny? Um, and the, well, she wasn't, but everybody on the cast, like in the, the stuff after was talking about how she was always like cracking them up with jokes off to the side, but they never really brought that in the movie. She was just kind of there. I feel like in this one. Oh, Which okay. One we'll that? take your word for you. It's is the that one the, that with the Jufro? Yes. With the Jufro. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, she was in a uh, cannibal girls, the I've, Ivan Reitman's first film, uh, the one that's actually playing in ghostbusters at one point in time. Um, uh, Black Christmas twenty six or the two thousand six. She played the sorority mother, Mrs. Mack, in that version. So oh. she came back. <laughs> I watched that last night. I didn't realize that was her. She looks a hundred percent different. She looks better actually. Yeah. Than age. <laughs> it's she got I mean, a, it's true. She really did. She got a hair situation under control. Got it like nice and styled. Dropped some pounds. Didn't look like she had a ball of pubes on her head. No, she did not. <laughs> uh, she's actually, she's also currently uh, in Only Murders in the Building on Hulu um, and in Evil, the TV series. And uh, she's done a ton of voice acting and other TV roles. She was actually in Goof Troop, of all things. Weird, weird stuff. Oh Freakazoid back in the day. Goof Troop, that brings back some crazy memories. Uh, we have Lynn Griffin playing Claire Harrison, Billy's first victim. Uh, would have been the final girl in any other slasher after Halloween, but mm, the rules okay. hadn't been set yet. I got to ask a question because I feel like an idiot right now. Billy was a hockey player. No. Who is Billy? Billy is a... Le Do we want to say That's it so soon? unofficially the name okay. they gave to the killer. He he doesn't... Nobody knows what his name is. Okay. But he keeps saying Billy. He's like, you know, he... That's the only name that he mentions other than Agnes. Which, yeah, um, that's a whole backstory, so... Okay, I'm retarded then. No, you're not, because I thought the same thing, too. I ha I actually had to research it, so... Uh, and, um... But anyway, yeah, Lynn would have been the uh, final girl in any other slasher after Halloween. But like I said, the, the rules hadn't been set yet. And she's, uh, I feel like she's kind of an homage to Norma Bates because, like, she's just caught in that perpetual death scream in the attic the entire movie, like, keeps going back to her, uh, which I think gets creepier as the movie goes along, okay, actually. But would she have been, I know it does, which is fucking hilarious. And I like how they used it as the movie poster. Uh, but. Would she have been the perpetual, like, final girl? Because it is heavily implied that she was into some shit 
based off the posters that were in her room. <laughs> the, the posters are pretty good. I like yes. the old lady that was flipping you yes. off. That was pretty good. The flip off was funny. And then I liked how the, the sorority mom was trying to cover up the, the statues having sex. Yeah, the, the naked asses that were yeah. on the, the wall or whatever. Uh, yeah, on the door. Uh, yeah, you don't see this. I know you're a dad, but you don't need to be looking at this. Um, and then we have Doug McGrath playing Sergeant Nash, who doesn't know what fellatio means. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, dumb there, as the day is long. There's certain scenes in this movie that, I mean... I can see how Bob Clark can go from something like this to a Christmas story where there's more humor in it because the guy had natural talent when it came to comedy. Like the, the scene with the fellatio, uh, the scene with Barb when she's talking about the, uh, the, the turtles going at it and it took them three days and how she got tired of wait, waiting for them and went and watched the drafts cause they premature ejaculation, all that <laughs> stuff in the movie. Um, the, uh, and what was there was another one I was thinking of just, I mean, there's, Oh yeah. The scene at uh, toward the end of the movie where, I mean, and it needed it too. That's one thing that I, I upon a second viewing that I loved about it. Cause the movie starts getting really tense about halfway through and it's, and he perfectly breaks the tension by having this scene in the police station where this old farmer has shot one of the cops in the ass with birdshot. And then they're having to pick it out. Like I, that was great. <laughs> And he tells the cop, he's like, come back on my property. I'm going to give you the gun. It's going to be shoved up your ass sideways. <laughs> it was. It definitely. Well, it needed something. Comedy relief definitely works. So I'll give it that. Um, because I wouldn't say it was dragging, but I don't know. I was kind of like, oh, okay, where it, it, are we it going? It pick me up. It does help yes. in that sense. But it also helps, too, because it not only. The thing about tension breakers is that they they also help to serve the other purpose in a movie, whereas, like, if you're constantly exposed to the horror in the movie, you grow numb to it, whereas if you have a little bit of attention, you know, relief, then your your body's like, okay, I can relax, and it's like, bam, you know, you get hit again with it. So It's like it, adding it a little bit of salt to a sugary recipe or baking dessert. Like, it, it brings out the sweetness a little more. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit more of the taste comes through because you've got something to compare it to. So, synopsis. Uh, during a sorority Christmas celebration, a perverted serial killer climbs into the attic and begins his killing spree. The disappearance of the virginal Claire galvanizes the community into a frantic search, struggling to find some evidence as to what happened. One by one, the sorority sisters are picked off, not knowing the killer is living amongst them. Bodies are kept as trophies. Old drunks get hooked like alcoholic fish. And a love-smitten boyfriend picks the wrong time to turn all emo stalker. <laughs> If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. That's actually a tagline from the movie. I thought it was pretty damn good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll slap you. You know the part I didn't get that I, I wish they didn't do it because I, th I feel like it ruined the movie at the very end was when they're zooming out and it shows a picture of the girl in the attic. And then I had the realization that everybody that was outside could see her easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If yeah, they just they were looked. looking at a certain angle, yeah, that I can see that. Maybe it's um, like maybe it's like when we're at Universal Studios and we're looking for <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Bates, and you're like you have to like really go back to kind of see at the angle, and I, you can't tell she's alive or dead. I know, but if everybody's so frantic looking for these people, yeah, it it kind of destroys that because it's visible from the street. Well, what town was this? It, Do we know what town they were in? 
it's it's in Canada. Is, See, I mean, they're all that's stupid. They Canadians. Yeah. What you talking about? <laughs> the one thing that I'll give, I mean, it's a headcanon. I agree with you what you're saying. No, I can't dispute that. But th- through most of the movie, everybody's got their eyes on the ground. They're like looking for the killer outside. So they're not even looking toward the house. Now at the end, you're right. They, you know, I don't understand at the end also why they didn't do a ho- total sweep of the house before they even, you know, tried to round up the bodies that you would have thought that had been the first thing they would have done. But um, I don't know, maybe that, you know, with the, the red herring, you know, dead, they didn't, they, you know, didn't feel like they needed to search any farther, whatever. Okay. This but, is, um, this is where that consistency falls apart. Cause they went as far as to tap the phones, but at the end, did nobody sweep the house? Yeah. It's coming from within the house. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, because, I mean, well, no, it doesn't fall apart because I think that the ending kind of. No, because they would have went through the house. They would look for all the phones in the house because I, if it's coming from the house, they would have figured out, try to figure out why. Well, was there a phone in the attic? Like, they would have started looking in those places. I mean, it was the 1980s. They weren't, like, when I listen to some of the death podcasts or the, or the murder podcasts. They the phone lines. Yeah, I'm, I know. But I'm saying, there is, if you listen to some of the murder podcasts, I listen to them all the time. The stupid mistakes. Now, I don't even know if they're mistakes. It, stupid mistakes that some of the police made or some of the stuff they just overlooked. It's insane. You're like, how did you fucking miss that? You know, that's actually good. That's actually a good point because I mean, cops being people too, there are certain points in some investigations where they are so fed up. They, they, they're just so ready for it to, you know, the killer to be caught that, you know, sometimes the killer identity gets fabricated. Uh, and yeah, they, they find don't a scapegoat. Care who they not saying, you know, not in, not to in, not intentionally, but I mean, they're like the 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 person who fits it best. Even if there's not enough evidence necessarily, it's like okay, it has to be them. Let's solve this. Oh, this movie could and have been so, a perfect episode of Making a Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I could see it getting to the point where it's just like okay, we we've been through the mill with this one, like you know. But at the same time, there's a little bit of a, a stretch there, and I yeah. mean, I I get it, you know. So I can't totally fault that. Um, um, what was I going to say in regards to that? the cops already just looking at how frantic the station was and them just trying to get any kind of help being told on the phone. Look, there's probably nothing we can do. I mean, granted, that's just a stupid cop that's answering the phone that doesn't know no good. But even the cops, they look like they're fucking over it. They all look like they're fucking over it. Well, that one cop, the desk guy was a fucking moron. Yes, I did mention that. <laughs> I, lo- I love that saying. It's like for uh, if you for love of God, do not tell her anything. Just oh, tell her yeah. the house. If and I will kill you if you do otherwise. And of course, first <laughs> there's thing a killer in the house. The killer's in the house. Get out. <laughs> I mean, but we all knew that was going to happen. The guy's been a fuck up the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was appropriate to his character. It stayed it yeah. stayed within like between his the fellatio and then like the. The, the the whole the address and then where it pinned at and this that guy this at every fucking turn dropped the ball. Okay. Maybe I'm saying this because I've seen the movie. I doubt it. The only time I would run upstairs to save somebody if I was told the killer was in the house were if my children were in the house. Completely different. Now, if I get a call from the cops that have my home phone, which that's not a thing, uh, <laughs> tells me that, hey, these weird calls are coming from th- within your house. Uh, everyone for themselves. I will see you outside. <laughs> like, you, you don't even know where everybody's at. 
Let's be honest. Like, there's nobody making room. You know when your roommates are home during the day, you know? So I don't think it would have been any different if he had been like, hey, we think the calls are coming from within your house to, hey, the killer's in your house. Get the fuck out. I I don't fault him for sec because she clearly was not listening to him. Yeah. Uh, didn't listen to him after the fact either. But this establishes another, I mean, this being the very first slasher period, this also establishes another tradition in the, in the genre of some character at some point in the movie, not always the final girl, but a lot of times doing something so stupid that you're like, why are you still alive? Yeah. And that's that, that was Jess <laughs> at the end of the movie. It's like, for the love of God, don't go upstairs. She's a, she's a lucky final girl at best. Yes. Um, speaking of that, body count in this movie is seven for those keeping count. It's uh, it's Claire, Mrs. Mack, the undisclosed child that they found in the park, the teenager, uh, Barb, uh, Phil, Officer Jennings, the guy who was watching outside and had his throat slashed, and, uh, and then Peter, of course. But he was not technically killed by Billy. He was killed by Jess. Yeah, um, the guy that guy was a moron. It's like, dude, that <laughs> seems over the top creepy. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, yes, it's like I'm going to stand outside your house in the. Uh, you you imagine a Canadian winter, and this guy is standing outside for hours. There's multiple scenes of him just sitting like under a tree out there. Like, what? Yeah, the, he's clearly got problems. Like, <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> um, speaking of that, I mean, getting the discussion in the movie. I th- you talk about creepy. I thought that the best thing in this movie, besides Claire's like perpetual death scream, which mm-hmm. kept getting better the more they showed it, I, that scene where Billy is right behind the damn door and all you can see is his eyes. Oh and he yeah, starts, uh, you know at that, and then him running down the stairs because I there's not many slashers outside of well, I mean it's still a proto slasher chainsaw, which we'll discuss here soon, uh, where the killer is like so deliberately like running like that, like a madman at him. I mean, like you get later on in the series, the, the killers know they're going to get them, you know, the, the, the people they're trying to kill anyway. So they, they take their time. Like, yeah. you know, you have Michael Myers, you have Jason, Freddie, they're slow about it. But like this movie, this guy was booking it down there and that kind of creeped me out. I'm like, damn, that's different, you know, versus <laughs> the normal way to do it. Yeah. And then he, like, grabs her by the hair and, like, was freaking out and, like, making all those sounds and everything. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, "Mm." I was, I couldn't, I was having a hard time wondering if the phone calls they were getting were actually from, presumably, Billy, or if it was just actual prank calls and then Billy was just a separate killer. Uh, According to Bob Clark, it was Billy because they recorded that he got somebody... The, uh, to do the voice of Billy, that's not the who actually yes. did the, the actual physical work, but they did get somebody just for Billy's voice, so it was supposed to be him. Yeah, I, I know that now, um, but I just find it, well, because... That would have been a good play on it if it was actually other frat houses. Like somebody yes. else. Yeah, and, and then every every once in a while, that goofy fucker would call in. Yeah, well, and then <laughs> here's the thing is that when you hear him in the attic, he just sounds like, for lack of a better word, a retard. He he does, he's making grunts and and noises and he's not and he's doing the, well he's doing a little creepy he does, at one point in the movie he does that little creepy like children's rhyme it's like baby oh, bunting yeah. gonna hunting and that all that so it couldn't be that retarded he killed a house full of women <laughs> let's be honest they were women 
Did y'all notice like him in the background of a lot of shots, like his shadow? Did you see that throughout yeah. the movie where you're looking for it? I'll be honest, I did not catch that. There's a part where the with the the Jufro girl and, and and the final girl are sitting on the couch, and there's a shadow behind like a, a almost behind like a door, and like a, both of them are oblivious to it. I completely missed it. I'll be honest. There's another scene, and it's toward the top of the stairs, and I think it's it's like Jess is there. Uh, I don't know where Phil, the, the Jufro, as you were talking, you know, I don't know where she's at in the, at that point in the movie. She might have already been killed. But Jess is there, and you see somebody's shadow at the top of the stairwell. and But then, like, something happens, and it, like, moves away. But it's right behind her at that point, too. Wow. <laughs> wow. There, there's some there's some thought put into that. I mean, it, it's, it's a decent setup for the movie, I thought. Um, what did y'all think about the overall, like, taking that urban legend about the – the babysitter getting the phone calls from inside the house and like applying it to the, you know, a movie. I thought it was awesome. I didn't, I didn't realize they could trace calls back then like that. That's, that was crazy too. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you mentioned that. Like how crazy was that scene where they were, he was having to run an entire length of the building just to track down where the phone, I mean, that's just nuts watching that now. How about the fact <laughs> nobody else is there helping? <laughs> that's true it's He's a murder case trace the phone nobody call. else is gonna help like what yeah he, he's got to run it down I don't, I don't know maybe they were assuming that he was like the only technician that was on call because it was around the christmas holidays that that kind of makes sense i don't I, know i'll give but. you that then yeah but that was i didn't realize they could do it because it, it's a mechanical board so there's a scene where the caller's coming from what what the number is and the, but they still got to trace it to the actual address yeah, apparently 60s and 70s you could trace phone calls although how they were able how they were able to uh do it there's not really a a good answer so yeah, I, well, it, it kind of entered in the spy movies around that time, too. So they, you know, I, I guess they could. It's just so, you watch it from this point of view of nowadays with, you know, cell phones, hardly anybody having landlines. It's like, it's just crazy to watch that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what else did you think? I mean, do you have any other, you know, thoughts about the, like, general story and, uh, or any or how it was laid out or anything like that? I thought it was a really good movie, especially for being in the 70s. It's I think they nailed the the good early makings of a solid horror movie. I, I do, I did too, and I, I think that they even like the music and everything. This oh, yeah. is like, I mean, we we've covered so many times like these movies, like not having the appropriate music match to them. But this is, you know, where you really see the Americans shining or whatever, because Bob Clark wasn't American, like you know, working that music in there just the right time to add to the scene. You know, yeah, the storytelling was awesome. I. I was kind of hesitant at first, but as the movie went on, I was like, dude, this was done hella good. It was I would shocking say me. it was a good start for sure. Wow. <laughs> Dirty I see whore. where you're going. I'll, I'll agree with Noah. Like, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed this movie. Like, I really was. I was like, this is the first true slasher. Uh, you know, Halloween's the one that everybody knows. So how good is this thing going to be? And I watched it, and I'm like, and then, and then to find out that Bob Clark, who did this movie, was made my all-time favorite Christmas movie, you know, a Christmas yeah. story. After this, I'm like, I, this is insane, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I can't I, complain about anything in it. The, the really. only complaint I had was one of the deaths that I didn't, I thought was shittily done. It was the one where that the old lady goes in the attic and he and he swings that hook at her. 
Yeah, the hook, and then she goes up in the attic. Yeah, the there's no does. way the hook would impelled her. Like, is that one of our de- is that one of our ratings? Because we have, I know in this one, it's not. There's not going to be best boobies, but we have best death. Uh, do we have also have worst death? We don't have worst death, but if you want to list it, that's perfectly fine. I mean to throw in there, but we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Okay. So, you know what I was thinking um, would have been awesome on that murder scene instead of th- him throwing the hook, is him putting some around her neck and then hoisting her up. That, that would probably been better. Uh, I'll agree with Just you. Just her struggling um, to get free and can't. Uh, I, I'll tell you though, I actually enjoyed that scene just for the the just for the interesting way that they. I mean, not for the the hook impaling because I kind of agree with you on that, but just it, it was such a change from all the other deaths in the movie because they're all pretty traditional after that, like you know, cut with a knife, yeah. the unicorn. Uh, ornament or you know figuring was kind of interesting you know as far as that goes but um it's not really he wasn't so much as a slasher i mean as a killer because he i mean claire the very first one he kills is pretty much just choked to death he was working up to it okay these <laughs> things take time you don't just like you're just not a natural born slasher okay yeah, he wasn't, we, killing, we, he wasn't killing. He was pushing rope so he had to he had to get a little chub before he went in the full bore into it is maybe, that what you're trying to say maybe well, he didn't come out of the gate killing sorority girls he had to start with 13 year olds yeah and that That's one true that it. one was implied yeah. that she was raped and killed oh god as yeah, well that. as as uh his alleged sister who was uh, what's her name in the Agnes Agnes yes so um, any any problems with the acting in the movie? I personally enjoyed all. I mean, even the cheesier ones, like Mrs. Mack, is a little bit cheesy, but she's enjoyable. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I and think like I, those goofy motherfuckers that come by that are doing like the 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 watch in town or whatever, and like they're distracting like uh, Phil and and Jess at that point. I and they're just. Yeah, I mean, there's one um, actor or actress I really couldn't tell that stood out, and it was definitely the cat. Uh, cat was the best one. The cat oh, got quite a few people God. killed. So, I mean, without that cat, that was like two or three deaths. Come on. It it did lure a few people to different places. That's that's true. You yeah. know what would have been a good thing if the, if the serial killer had done it? it was to have killed the cat, oh, no. stuffed it, and then used it as a, a trickery to get people into positions. Uh, well, that would have been. He, what if he would have killed the cat, wrapped it up in a gift, and then gave it to somebody? No. Oh, in one of the girls' rooms, that would have been hell good. Surprise, <laughs> motherfucker! Okay, the cat you're talking about looks so real. They did such a good job with that, and there was no blood or anything, so it wasn't like you know insane. But that, well, actually, it, it wasn't realistic because the cat was still jiggly and movie, where rigor mortis would have. Would have you know kicked in yeah. by the time, yeah. but yeah, still, still very effective. What are you um, talking about the cat from? Do we want to spoil it? No, don't. Uh, you can tell him off air what it okay. is. Like, don't right. want to spoil it for the people who haven't seen it. Just don't say it out loud. I will say the movie that I was watching when I was getting my tattoo done yesterday. Not the babysitter. He doesn't know. He's not. He's not. I know. Him. Okay. I, okay. I got he got it. it. Okay. Retarded. Anyways, um, no, like I don't think killer. there was any. I don't think there's any acting that like stood out in a negative way at all. So that's good. Um, just a quick comparison: the 2006 remake. You did say you watched that, right, Noah? I watched about uh almost a third of it. 
Okay. I, I don't blame you for that. <laughs> Anyways, the, the people that's in it, uh, the actresses, as Michelle Trachtenberg, uh, Lacey Chabert, uh, Katie Cassidy, Supernatural alumni there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um. I did not like the 2000 remake as well at, or actually much at all compared at least to the original movie. And I know that's not like a popular opinion because I've seen so many people recently posting about how they think this one is better than the original, but why? here's my reason why. Because the girls why. are hotter? What's that? Because the girls are hotter? Uh, no, that's not the reason they give, although that might be the case. I mean, you know, there are a couple of hotter girls in this one. Um, it, they keep... I think that people like the ultra like out there type slashers. They've gotten conditioned to it. So they don't like subtlety in their movie. And, or at least that's what I'm going on because like when you watch 2006 remake, it is full bore, like batshit insane. Like all the way around the kills are amped up to 11. Like oh. blood's flattened everywhere. Uh, the killer is piss yellow. And I mean that he is literally yellow. He's they jaundiced. give some kind of yeah. weird backstory that, he has like a liver problem because um, his mom was a drunk from birth. Um, Agnes is like his incest baby slash sister with his mom who raped him at one point in the movie and they show it and, uh, or at least the implication, they don't show the actual raping. Yeah. But I mean that, you know, it just, I mean, it, it takes any subtlety from the first movie and just removes every bit of it. Like, I mean, it, there's, they, they even go back and give too much to the killer's history. That's the other reason I don't like it. So Bob Clark did come up with a backstory for Billy, and Agnes was involved in all that. But And they took that in the, in the remake and ran with it. And when I mean ran with it, they you see literally the movie, half of it's flashing back to his past and showing how he got to where he was at. Hmm. And I don't need that from a killer. Like, I think it's so creepy in this movie that you don't know jack shit about Billy. That's not even his name. And you don't learn anything about him. You just hear him mention the name Billy and Agnes, and that's all you know about him. And yeah. I think that's creepier to me. Yeah, yeah. The amount of backstory they did, it worked fine for a TV show. Yes. Yeah, but not a movie. No, there, <laughs> there's too much time spent on that on that character development of why he's such a bad person. Um. I will give the people who like the 2006 remake this. If you're going for a cheesy, just fun slasher, it it, it is that. But if you watch the original movie and then turn around and and that's what, and then you love the original movie like I did and all the things that it did right, and then you turn around and watch this remake, like it's night and day. I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. This what, is just what's the intention? <laughs> is it supposed to be a cheesy slasher? Like, is it supposed to be like the Babysitter? It's not. No, they don't. They don't add the humor of the babysitter. Yeah. What they do is they go just balls to the wall like Rob. It's Rob Zombie style is what it is. Okay. Like, so if you take Rob Zombie's Halloween, which took all the subtlety out of the original Halloween movie and just made it. Co that's exactly what they did with the remake of this. Like point Basically, blank. Out it's of the, the gate, same exact setup. the girl gets a bag over her head and, and a, a pin right in the eyeball. Oh, yeah. It's like right yeah. out the gate. They don't give it, yeah. Like that's another thing in this movie. They they introduce you to Claire. They kind of give you some backstory to her about how she's the you know kind of the prim and proper one that can't get along with Barb. They they make you at least care for her for a split second before they take her out of the movie. They don't do anything like that for Claire in the new one. Like it's just she's in a room. You don't even know who she is. Bag over the head. That wow. and, and it moves on. Missing. Yeah, stabbed in the eye, and the other one yanked out. 
Yeah, what's up with egg? I kept reading Agnes was like yanking out eyeballs. It's like chill, bitch. Oh yeah, she she yanks them out and then she sucks the blood off of them and then hangs them up on a Christmas tree. Okay. That's the kind of movie you're getting with a 2000 remake. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> did you watch? No subtlety. Did you watch the 2019? Yes, and, and speaking of that, <laughs> so the 2006 remake seems like Citizen Kane with regards to the 2019 remake, which is nothing but woke garbage. And I say that with all the hatred that I can have in my heart for, for that movie because it is nothing but a men are evil uh, and the scum of the earth type movie because the, the story in the new remake is that there's a, a fraternity house that all the guys uh, and, and and of course the fraternity the guy who formed the fraternity was like a you know fought for the south and the civil war extreme oh racist misogynist blah 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 Ugh. um carrie elwes you know from the great princess bride plays this misogynistic teacher that basically for right from the get-go tells one of the female students if you don't bang me you're filling this class so he's that guy and he he runs the fraternity he's like the you know like the fraternity father whatever you know however that that comes about but what it turns out is is that there's a statue they worship of the guy who originally started the fraternity and it, it's oozing this black ectoplasm and any guy who touches it becomes instantly racist misogynistic uh can't think for himself just wants to murder and rape you know women every time they see them and so the rest of the movie you know these girls this sorority house is getting attacked by these guys who are basically zombies you know because they touched the black goo during a fraternity ceremony and now they're just out to rape and kill whatever woman <laughs> they find in their midst are you um, fucking serious no, I'm serious. That's what the movie's about. And and um, to add to that, to make it even worse, there's one positive male in the movie who's a gay guy, that- who is a friend to one of the characters. He goes in the fraternity, touches the goo, suddenly goes through gay conversion se- uh, therapy because that's what the goo does to you, and now he wants to rape and kill all the women. So, you know, there you go. We saw gayism. <laughs> yep, they solved it just by the black goo from uh, Colonel Sanders' uh, lookalike that they're worshiping. What a fall from grace to go from the 74 and then see what their interpretation is for, what, 2019? Oh, yeah, it's shit. 2019. <laughs> and if I bet if you had showed... Like ruin the movie... Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, if anybody felt like I ruined the movie for him just then, I'm, I'm telling you, I saved you time. There, There's nobody I know of that likes the 2019 remake yeah, at all. Yeah, he watched like, it so you don't have to. If you would have showed people in 2006 the remake... And they said, this is garbage. They said, hold my beer. Let me show you what it looks like in 2019. <laughs> exactly. They would have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> Holy shit, dude. Okay. Yeah. Anybody who complained about the 2006 remake would have been, you know, it's like this can't get any worse than what you just did to the original movie that's a classic. And they're like, well, Watch hold this. on. Yeah. For reference, the 2019 version got a 3.5 on IMDb, uh, 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, 1.9 on Letterboxd. Hell yeah. That's what you get, bitch. 45% of Google users liked it, which you got to hit at least 50 on Google, and even 50 is low. What, what was the percentage that liked it? Uh, 45. And the, by the way, the tomato meter, the audience and, and the uh, tomato meter score are spot on. They're like right on there with each other. Um, was made for a budget of $18.5 million. Oh, excuse me. Box, the box office was 18.5. It had a budget of $5 million. That went to the million. movie theater? Yes, it did. Yes. What, what, okay, hold on. What did it get in theaters? Was it in 2020? It uh, probably came out in 2020. 
It came out right at the end. I oh, think, yeah. Of 2019. December. December 13th. Did it flop? Please, it flopped. Uh, in ratings, it did. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it flopped. It. I mean, if, if it only made like, you know, that number you gave me for, or you just 18. said for the box 5, office, yeah. there's no, it was clearly filmed for more than that. I mean, a lot more than that. Well, $5 million is what they claimed was the budget, but... Mm. Oh, I don't believe that, but okay. Yeah, yeah and then it, it made eighteen point five, but it seems like that would be flip-flopped. Okay, hold on. <laughs> now, if you had to say one good thing about the movie, what was it? Visually, some of the deaths are good, but I mean, you're that's, that's literally the best I can say for it. I mean, it's not a bad-looking movie. It's just, I mean, it, it's actually better-looking in certain aspects in the 20s. Uh, 2006 uh but that literally it's the visuals because it's cleaner you know it's like you know it's not got the you know the bright yellow you know bad guy but I, that's all i can say good for it that's it um and this was a blumhouse film <laughs> yeah that was the other that's the reason i watched it i was like you like blumhouse okay. says it done me wrong uh, yeah. wrong and, wrong and then wrong you were done <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> It was after that that I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to have to start watch, making sure that I check these out before I watch them all the way through. You know, the thing I understand is how do you not sit down on paper and realize this, this sounds like horseshit? I think that, I think it was a combination of things. I think 2019, the, the woke people really feeling like, you know, high on their, high on their horse right before. You Everybody know, agrees uh, with us. Yeah, everybody agrees with us. Uh, they didn't have any pushback. Uh, Blumhouse had not made a failure at that point, and I guess they still didn't technically, if that's what it actually yeah. made. But and so Jason Blum was just like, mm, "Yeah, whatever. I like money." <laughs> yeah. No game. I, I didn't mean, write it. I what was that? I'm sorry. He probably just said, "I didn't write it." Oh, yeah, yeah. He probably came out afterward, and he's like, ah, I didn't have anything to do with that. I just signed my name to it so that, that somebody, you know, that I knew could or agreed to make a movie later on for me or something. That's how all, a lot of that shit works. Good Lord. <laughs> but, yeah, if if I was to rank them, it's, it's definitely for me 74, the remake, the 2006 remake, and then I... I don't even consider 2019 existing. Just <laughs> don't bother. Just it, it never happened. Carrie always is still the great, you know, character we know from Princess Bride. He never made this shitty movie, you know, uh, woke yacht, rah rah, this bullshit. I gotta watch it now. <laughs> You're gonna be so mad. Let me tell you something, Urena. If you if if you let him, if he watches this, you're going to have to like I don't know. He's going to have to. You're going to have to be away from him, separated from him yeah. for a bit because he's going to be so pissed. <laughs> I mean, I hear him get pissed during movies, and I'm just like, okay, whatever, you know. No, uh, this is going to be an ep- this top notch piss though. The problem with the movie, it needs to have a consistency. Like if you're if you start the movie and it's just wild off the wall stuff from the get go, like a Rick and Morty show. That's fine. I'm under the inception that we're just taking this thing wherever it goes. But if the movie starts off in reality and you're making a consistent type of thing, then whatever story you're planning has to be the same consistency running through it. That's what makes makes Rick and Morty awesome. Rick and Morty, there is no consistency. It's whatever happens is what happens. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you won't get that in 2019 because it starts out and it's 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 just a story about a, I mean, it starts out with about a girl who is, uh, she's all, and I can't remember what it is, but she is fighting for some kind of like uh, uh, equal rights on campus. And it's not like, you know, men and women, black and white. It's just more like, I, I, I want to say it's leaning towards transgender, gay, that type of thing. She's fighting for some kind of rights. Uh, she gets hit on by this misogynistic teacher that tells her that if she or tells her that she's stupid and if she really wants to get ahead in the class, she's going to have to give some head in the class. <laughs> and um, and then 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 it goes on from there to have these uh, sorority guys worshiping the statue that emits black goo and makes them like zombies. That's the movie you get. Yeah, but isn't that the reality of how university professors are, though? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so in reality, the movie is actually pretty accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fairly close. <laughs> I know we talked about this, um, Joss Whedon and Michelle Trachtenberg, because Michelle Trachtenberg reminds me of she was that girl who, even as an adult, she had that um, childish look to her, young look to her, which uh, clearly Hollywood liked because they love that pervy. Hey, this girl's old enough, but she looks like she's a kid. You know, they love that shit, which is currently what uh, we get with... um, Jenna. Jenna Ortega. Um, Michelle Trachtenberg kept her young, youthful looks, but holy crap, I'm looking at some recent photos. She has really dumped on the weight. Pow, hit the wall. Was she? <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me show the hubby if there's a skinny photo of her in this. There is not. Let me see. So let's give you a before. Because I think you, you you remember her from the Buffy years. No. At all? I, I, do, I do. Buffy. Okay, uh, you never watched. Well, God, she was she was popular back in that day. She was really pretty. Uh, here is I don't know how recent this photo is, but damn, I'll send it to you, Reverend. Someone's hunting well. Do you do you remember what we said about her and Josh Whedon whenever we covered a little bit about the about yes, that stuff? That's why I brought it up. He was that, not allowed to even just be around her. Like he they was, couldn't be if they were going to be together. Somebody had to be in the yes, room with them. An adult, another adult, like another like trusted, almost somebody that would watch her. You know, was I don't know representation of her or something like that. It he's would be like to pull, it, hey, he's just trying to pull his dick out now. Yes, when he's out of crime. Now this was at a time where she was in fact a eighteen. She wasn't an adult. She yet. was actually very young at that time. Yeah, like, she was fourteen you know, or fifteen. A minor. Yeah, she was our child's age, and they were just like, he can't. And this wasn't even something decided by her. This was something decided for her. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Like, hey, we're just going to, uh, you know, we're gonna, which I'm glad that was a thing. That gives me some hope that, you know, Hollywood may be pervy, but at least somebody was looking out for this girl. But re- remember back in the day, whenever. Uh, Joss Whedon was considered this ultra feminist and this uh, woke icon. Like, mm, yeah. (laughs) Fall from grace. He did. Uh, Are are y'all ready for some trivia for this movie? Yes. Are we doing reviews after trivia? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Bob Clark was recorded in an interview. This is great. Saying that John Carpenter spoke with him shortly before filming Halloween. When Carpenter asked Clark what he would have done for a sequel, Clark states that he would have had Billy breaking out of a mental institution and returning to torment the unlucky women who happened to be leaving the sorority house that time. He goes on to say he would have changed the setting of the film and set it during another holiday, this time Halloween. <laughs> Hell yeah. He basically... Two years, two years he, that Bob Clark talked to him and told him this before Halloween came out. Did Okay, I don't know if you have this and was like, did did... 
Bob Clark ever take it personal at all? Like when Halloween came out, did he, John Carpenter ever credit in the interview, him? In the interview, he clearly, he's got a smile on his face, but it's one of those things it's like, He's smiling because it's funny, but at the same time, it's like you, you can get like, the look on his face sells the, like this, this feeling like the bastard stole from me. Yeah. Like, you know, in a roundabout way. Oh, my God. Like that would. OK, that would almost be like, you know, discussing this podcast. Hey, I have a good idea for a podcast. And then like I go on and do it. It's you like you fucking bitch. Yeah, exactly. It's like it was my idea. What are you doing? <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, he broke out of a mental institution, returning back to the place that he killed some people at before. Uh, it's set during Halloween. I mean, there's a lot of similar. I mean, now you can say that that's just a framework, and that Carpenter <laughs> did add quite a bit on top of it. Added the mask, added all, and he yeah. did. So, but he clearly had the seed for the idea from this like discussion. Got hear, a way hotter final girl. Hear me out. What if while this conversation was happening, you heard Bob Clark? He was just on the piano, just kind of making some tunes, just playing some <laughs> random shit, <laughs> just shooting the shit on the piano, not even being serious. And it was the Halloween theme, <laughs> or some like really, really close. And yeah, Carpenter's just like, and then oh, Carpenter said the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and like the rest of it was just Bob Clark. You can't get mad at him. When something, when inspiration about an idea hits you, that someone says something, it's like it's your job to beat them to the punch. And yeah, that's what he did. Well, well and Bob Clark and probably learned a lesson too. Don't fucking give these secrets away. You shut your <laughs> motherfucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like we talked about with uh, with Smile. It's like you know you can sit there and see these movies ripped each other off, and even have like a discussion like this that clearly proves there's a through line from one to the other. Yeah. But just because, I mean, Carpenter took that setup and he made a awesome movie out of it. I mean, yeah. we, we have a whole genre because of it. I mean, even if you want to lump, you, it, it, people rightfully call Black Christmas a sli- the first slasher, and it was. It has all the tropes set in there. Yeah. But which is the one everybody knows? Yeah, exactly. The very first just one. Just like I said Halloween. last episode. <laughs> <laughs> What's everyone talking about? <laughs> Um, there were several attempts over the years to produce a sequel for the film. After the failure of the remake, Bob Clark began work on the sequel before he tragically passed away in a car crash due to a drunk driver in 2007. Oh, shit. Uh, in all these attempts, Olivia Hussey and John Saxon were to reprise the roles of Jess and Lieutenant Fuller, respectively. Uh, Jess would have become the new house mother of the sorority in Clark's treatment of, for the film back in 2007. Aww. Um, so... The 2006 remake was a failure, at least at the box office, and that made him go. And he was going to make a sequel that paid, that was faithful to the original at that point. But we never got, the, we never got that one. Wait a second. So, just thinking out loud, that Jess was the victim. She was the final girl, and she was the victim of something pretty fucking tragic and mind fucking. So. <laughs> mentally, how do you return to the sorority unless you are a fucking nutcase? I bet you she would have been like some version of like um almost like a copycat killer. Uh, she could have been, but wh- how about this? I'm throwing this out there. What if she would have been Laurie Strode before Laurie Strode like you know came back? You know, like in the new remakes that they did or the new Halloweens that they did. You uh-huh. know, 2018 where she's like tragically damaged and she's trying to deal with it. I believe this movie might have went that route. And yeah, she would that's have true. Been that character before Laurie Strode was. She could have been the Sydney whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Laurie Strobe, yeah. Sydney, 
whatever. Prescott. I Prescott, yeah. yeah. Uh, in 1986, Olivia Hussey met producers for the film Roxanne, which came out in 87, since they were interested in casting her for the title role. Uh, Roxanne co-star Steve Martin met her and said, oh, my God, Olivia, uh, uh, you were the, when, in my all-time favorite films. Thinking it was Romeo and Juliet in 68, Olivia was surprised to find out it was actually Black Christmas. Oh. Martin claims he's watched that movie 27 times, or at least at the time that he you know, met her, he had seen it 27 times. Aww. That's a good-ass movie, Roxanne. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's a good take on the Cyrano de Bergerac or whatever story. Um, but that just that, that cracked me up that Steve Martin, of all people, loves Black Christmas to the point that <laughs> at the time that he filmed Roxanne, he had saw it 27 times. There wasn't a lot out, okay? I mean, <laughs> in terms of horror. Steve Martin's uh, In 87, yes. there was plenty of movies by then, uh, including one of the movies we're probably going to be discussing here in a few minutes, but we'll get to that. Uh, the film had only a moderate box office success and negative critical reception when originally released. However, the film went on to have a large cult following and has since received a critical reevaluation is now considered a classic. I agree with that. Yeah, it, it is definitely, but that's how uh, it always no is. Se- you, you got these movies <laughs> that redesign the paradigm of horror. And at the time you get fucks like Cisco and Ebert that just smash them and they can't get out of their own site outside their own box to see how much of a breakthrough it is in the idea. Uh, that's funny you say that because the next film we're discussing after this, uh, Siskel is deliberately involved in making sure that movie never became successful. And I'll get in the how, but during the trivia, but he was deliberately involved in that one. I hate those two guys, dude. Pompous as fuck. <laughs> I, you know why I hate him the most is them bashing John Carpenter's the thing. They fucking trashed that movie so yep. bad. And 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 what did they praise that year? E fucking T. Of That's course. what they praised. I think uh I think uh, Roger Ebert even came out and said if there's one alien movie you see this year, make sure it's E. T. Really? Really? Yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure that's what his exact quote was. So wait a second. <laughs> I'm glad his boyfriend died. Because there are <laughs> there are I mean, there's so many. Well, I guess there's there's human. Okay, the thing is its own entity because you've got human horror, you've got aliens, obviously, but paranoia, you, tension, like a motherfucker. But more importantly, especially to me, you have when bad animals go bad. So, what season <laughs> does the thing belong in? I would say alien, just because. Okay. Of the oh, original there's a spaceship. Yeah. The okay, and there's a spaceship. <laughs> Spoiler alerts, everybody. Did you ever read the comics that they put out? No, I never got around to anything like that. Did you get me reading those? I feel like I read those. The comics are so fucking good. Hella good. Dark Horse put them out back in the day when they were just getting out. Dark Horse, Horse. they had to be pretty good because they did some pretty good horror comics back in the day. They did that, and then they did a Predator series, and all the covers make this giant mural if you put them all up against each other. It's awesome, dude. Bet you that's hard to come by nowadays. It's dude. I used to have them. It, I used to love reading that comic. It was so good. The one they did because it picks up right after um, the them two are sitting in the ice cap and everything's kind of like burning. It did, picks up right okay. there. Did you get me read? I feel like I read. Did you get me reading those or did you find like a um, a digital version or something? I feel like I've read these. I don't. Uh, I don't think I've read a paper version. I used to have them. Or was it a um, graphic novel? Did you ever have a graphic novel of it? No, but somebody on YouTube 
there's a dude on YouTube that takes these old comics and does voiceover work for it, and then they, they show print, they show page by page, with voiceover for it, and they they covered the entire thing series all the way up to the went to Australia. Wow. Yeah, it's actually oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they do they do it with a lot of the Star Wars ones too. The guy I follow, it's uh, Audio Comics, is what it is. And he basically depicts all these different comics and does all the voiceover work. It's hella good. I wonder if he has to get some kind of copyright or whatever to do it. I don't know, but like me and my son would sit down and watch these things. They're hella good. Oh, yeah. Anyways. Um, speaking of snow, which is also <laughs> in the thing, uh, the snow scene outside of the sorority house was actually fake. Uh, because there has been, had been surprisingly little snowfall during the filming, a foam material that was provided by the local fire department was used for the snow on the lawn. And according to cinematographer Albert Dunk, uh, the uh, substance actually caused the grass on the lawn to grow greener than ever the following spring. <laughs> so it had some kind of chemical compound some in it kind that of the nitrates actual grass or something. liked. Yeah. Damn. Uh, the original title of the film script was Stop Me. It was director Bob Clark who came up with the title Black Christmas, saying that he liked the irony of something dark occurring during the such a festive holiday. Uh, the title is also a tongue-in-cheek reference to the Christmas song in the 54 <laughs> film, White Christmas. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the sorority house scene in the film was not a was not a set constructed for the film, but an actual house that had to be rented for the film's production. Some scenes in the script had to be slightly rewritten to accommodate the house's foundation and the structure. It still stands this day as a popular tourist attraction. Wow! During an interview with the director Bob Clark, Clark said uh, Olivia Hussey's decision to take the role of Jess was based upon advice given her by psychic. No. Oh. Uh, oh my According God. to Clark. Hussey said her psychic believed that the film would be successful and a wise career choice for her. So that's why she took the role. Uh, you don't need to be calling Miss Cleo for your uh, yeah. business advice. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Just throwing it out there for you. Composer Carl Zittrer said in an interview that he created the bizarre music score for the film by tying forks, combs, and knives to the strings of his piano so the sound would warp as he struck the keys. Uh, Zitra also said that he would distort the sound further by recording audio tape while putting pressure on the reels of the machine to make it turn slower. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the film holds the honor of being the first seasonal slasher film, a horror movie Aww. taking place during a holiday uh, in horror movie history and would later be followed by Halloween, of course, in 78. Uh, Friday the 13th in 80, Prom Night in 80, Mother's Day in 80, Graduation Day in 81. We got a lot of seasonal slashers this year, folks. Yeah. Uh, My Bloody Valentine in 81, Silent Night, Deadly Night, which we will be discussing this episode in 84, uh, and April Fool's Day in 86. So if there's a holiday, there's probably a slasher mm -hmm. for it. According to Bob Clark, Margot Kidder insisted on drinking real alcohol for the various scenes where she uh, was to be drinking and be intoxicated. So every time that you see Margot Kidder drinking the movie, it was real alcohol. She's an alky. She's preparing for <laughs> later in life. Yeah. <laughs> Legend has it that this was Elvis Presley's favorite horror movie, and his tradition was to watch it every Christmas. <laughs> Further rumors say that his family kept the tradition alive and watched it in his memory. If true, Elvis would have celebrated this tradition a maximum of only three times before his untimely death in August of 77, less than three years after the film's initial release. Oh, yeah. But that's pretty cool that the king yeah. enjoyed this movie. The role of Peter was originally offered to Malcolm McDowell, but he turned it down, a decision McDowell regrets mm -hmm. to this day when he saw the massive success of the film and its classic horror film status. Um, 
That would have been interesting to see Malcolm yeah. McDowell uh, right off the back of Clockwork Orange and those type of movies or around that time playing that character. I think he would have did a better job, actually. I, I, the guy who I played think he Peter, would have, too. The guy who played Peter did a good job. He really sold that role, but I think Malcolm McDowell would have... Something about him, he like, as there a would psycho. Have, there would have been more creep to it. More yeah. More factor. Uh, Bob Clark, the director, said the phone call scenes were uh, filmed before they recorded the f- profane dialogue. He said he wanted the girls' reactions to be kind of low key and numb, as he didn't want them to overwhelm uh, the, the sh- with the sh- be overwhelmed with the shock dialogue <laughs> they used for the scene. So he edited the phone stalker recordings afterwards, which were quite shocking. All that the stuff about pussies and cunts yeah. and everything else that was he added that in after the fact. That's hella funny. That. Yeah, because I was like, they're barely reacting to that, which to <laughs> me is hilarious. Because I'd be like, I'd be just like, uh, what's her name's character? Um, not Claire. Claire. No, not <laughs> the Claire. The drunk girl. The drunk girl. Yeah, I'd just be like, the fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Barb, yeah, that that cracks me up. That Margot Kidder's sitting there and she just listens to it. She's like, "Oh, is that what you're going to do?" It's like, hmm. "Not bad, <laughs> <laughs> not bad." That, I love that line. She's like, "Not bad." Yeah, the guy's saying like the worst things. Like, okay. <laughs> A strict rule that Clark had set for himself when it came to writing the female characters was to never objectify them sexually or give them nude scenes. He Ooh, wanted the college girls kidding. to come off as real people and not disposable horror characters waiting to die, as they were being um, disposed of left and right. <laughs> You know Funny what? Thing is, in the, I, I never in felt the, like I had to see titties in this movie. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't at all. Um, and and I think they did a pretty good job with that because they did make the characters seem more realistic. Like if they were showing their tits off a bunch, like in say, like a movie like Porky's, or which I think he made later actually, um, or um, if or like Revenge of the Nerds, like it would have made it goofy a little bit and it would have taken away from the movie, I think. Well, even in the next film, I really didn't feel like it wasn't terrible or anything. Um, but I didn't feel like it was needed in the films. They kind of just randomly showed up and sometimes they weren't really put to good use. So I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. I feel like that, the titties were important in the next movie. Oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the boobs were very necessary and so not deadly not, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, the, I just think it's it's funny, but there's also I don't remember there being any uh, nude scenes or, or anything like that in the 2006 remake either. As as much oh, as it goes out of its way to be crazy, I think there's titties in that. Uh, they're very brief then, because I don't remember them dwelling on it at all. Like during the movie, it's it's mostly seeing a bunch of like catty bitchy girls, you know, Lacey Chabert and all them like sitting around like taking pot shots at each other in between scenes of Billy's youth where he's getting like you know raped by his mom. It's just I'm like, what the fuck are they doing with this movie? Um, that seems realistic. See. Women just being catty with <laughs> each other. Yeah, well. <laughs> The film setting of Bedford is an intentional homage to another Christmas classic, uh, It's a Wonderful Life from 46, because that's Bedford Falls is where that movie takes place. Oh. This this film was initially thought to be the first slasher film ever to put the audience in the killer's point of view. However, Peeping Tom from 1960 was technically the first. Um, this convention was then popularized by Halloween in 78. What, what, what year uh, was the original movie Maniac made? It was in the 80s. I don't remember exactly in the 80s, but it was definitely in the 80s. Yeah, because that's a first-person type of movie. I know the remake they did was hell good with Elijah Wood. Yeah, and we'll pr- I don't know if... 1980. That's, that's a good slasher. It, it Yeah, it, it it's almost a human horror, too. I don't know. That one's on the line. 
it really is. I, I don't know. We might have to cover that this season if we got time. Well, I don't know. There's going we'll to gonna be it. human horrors that end up being slashers. It's going to happen. <laughs> it's going. They they do mix. I mean, unless you're talking about like Undead Jason or Freddy, who's a nightmare demon, you're going to start getting like some you know interconnected stuff between all this. Yeah. None of the actors portraying teenagers in the film were actually in their teens. In fact, the oldest actor, well, there you go, I, already, I had it in this, yeah. uh, was Kara uh, Dulay, who was 38 at the time. Yeah. Lynn Griffin and Olivia Hussey were the youngest on set at 22 and 23, respectively. Having a fucking midlife crisis in college. <laughs> Sporting wrinkles <laughs> and, and all. Exam- an early example of a largely mainstream film containing the word cunt, this was cut for the UK release. Oh, yeah. How? Because they use that word like it's going out of style. Yes. I know. It's so funny that they yeah, wouldn't Australians want it, but they and, use it more than we do. Yeah, Australians and Brits, man, they use the word cunt like it's a thing. <laughs> One of the main reasons Cara DeLay agreed to do this film was because, like I said earlier, he, it was being shot near where his parents lived, and he just wanted to go visit them. Let's be honest. <laughs> he still lived with his parents, so he was just like, oh, it's right near home. Okay. Yeah, he's an eight-year yeah. college student. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just 70 years old going to college. No big deal. Uh, shooting the search party scenes in the park proved to be quite difficult as the temperature was a freezing uh, 10 degrees Fahrenheit or negative nope. 12 degrees Celsius. Damn. No, thank you. Andrea Martin was the only cast member to return for the 2006 remake. She was hired to be in the remake as an attempt by Glenn Morgan to pay homage to this film. Uh, the decision initially came down to her and Margot Kidder. Uh, but I think Kidder had to like bow out because she had some prior commitment or something at the time. Uh, Gilda Radner was offered the role of Phyllis Carlson. Uh, she was attached but dropped out one month before filming began owing the Saturday Night Live commitments in 75. Oh, okay. I think Gilda Radner would have been better than Andrea Martin personally. Uh, definitely but. would have had a little bit more, if not, because uh, she's supposed to be comedic in this and she wasn't at all. So she would have brought... Yeah, I did. It didn't come through. Quite yeah, that much. she probably would have brought that a little bit more. And if not, I mean, a different type of personality that I don't know. She was just very bland. Yeah, so. which it's hard. I mean, you have Margot Kidder playing Barb, who's a out there character, and then you have Mrs. Mack, who's an out there character. I mean, and then of course the focus is on Jess, so it's hard to really. Yeah, I mean, you know, where does Phyllis? Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe Gilda Radner would have been too much personality because I can't imagine her walking into this role and playing it anywhere near what Andrea Martin did. I yeah. mean, she would have been the focus of attention when she was on screen. Uh, although some critical evaluations of the film interpreted the subplot with Peter and Jess as a feminist statement that uh, defended a woman's choice to have an abortion, while also pointing out this film came out a year after Roe v. Wade, Bob Clark and Olivia Hussey have dismissed such evaluations and claimed that the subplot was politically neutral and not meant to promote any pro-life or pro-choice message. It was simply meant to give the characters something to do and talk about in the film in between the murders and the investigation. Yeah, and kind of set up the fact that he's, you know, trying to lock her down and she's trying not to be locked down. And that's the thing. It, it, even if this is a pro-feminist message, and they clearly the, the people behind it didn't intend it that way, so whatever. But if you read it that way, it's still done in such a way that it's not preaching at you. It is a point of the movie. It's yeah. not the, the point of the movie. Exactly. Uh, this film was shot in just 40 days. Nice. 
Uh, Billy's erratic phone calls made after each murder seems almost eerily similar to serial killer Paul Michael Stefani's actions. Stefani is known as the weepy voice killer. (laughs) And the moniker was developed due to his habit of calling the police after committing his crimes to confess. The weepy Uh, voice killer. (laughs) Yeah. His and Billy's ramblings are similar as they were confusing and disorienting with changes in the voice uh, voices, meaning they could not be properly identified. However, unlike Billy, Stefani was not vulgar in his calls and was confessing to his murders each time that he called the police. <laughs> it's still funny because, like, I always hear that we got to stop giving, like, killers cool names like the Night Stalker and, you know, things <laughs> like that. And it's like, like, for instance, when we had the Golden State Killer, or he was also, I think he was also the Night Stalker too, wasn't he? I'm, I'm not sure. But he, I think they were both the same killer. He, everyone, every woman that was raped by this guy, and I, I hate to bring that up, but it happened, we're all like, yeah, he had the tiniest peen. Like, I didn't even know I was being raped. Like, How so, dare so, you? So, like, why not? Like, <laughs> so, why not, like, call him the tiny peen killer? Like, let's offend these guys, because that's when they start losing their shit, you know? Or guys, or girls, women, whatever. Can you imagine pissing off a woman? Like, oh, yeah, she had the smallest set of tits, and, like, she, she would lose her shit and like she would i feel like she would be caught uh, way sooner how hilarious would that have been if these girls went on national tv and they just interviewed him like yeah it's the smallest thing we've ever they felt did towards- they did this is on the podcast like every woman that was interviewed no was like, oh. again national television oh national see that's the thing is i think that'd be the perfect in prison right now if that's all they played was all these confessions of these women that are like like one flat out says like if he even like i don't even i can't even tell if he has a dick or not like it was like she was just that's how small it was in her opinion she's like i mean if you want to call that thing a penis i was like it'd be even funnier shit. if you had a if you had a killer that like couldn't get it up like unless certain conditions are met and so they started yeah. Him like dead Dick Johnson or something, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So okay. Anyways, that off that total off topic, but um. Well, speaking of the killer, uh, during Nick J- Mancuso's audition for the role of Billy's disembodied voice, Bob Clark had Manu- uh, Mancuso sit in a chair facing away from him so as not to his- see his face. He wanted his audition to rely solely on his voice acting and not on facial expressions. Clark then had Mancuso experiment with different voices in order to come up with the one that was right for the character. One of the methods used was having Mancuso compress his thorax in his neck by standing on his head. Wow. So, that's one way to get the voice. Okay. <laughs> While helping uh, Roy Moore write the script, Bob, Bob Clark uh, based the personality and mannerisms of Mrs. Mack on his real-life aunt. <laughs> Clark claims that he rewrote a lot of Roy Moore's script, adding to, uh, some humor into the film. Moore was also against the idea of never seeing the killer. However, when he saw the finished film, he was very pleased with it. Yeah. Uh, the original script was over 166 pages long before the rewrites. The unaltered script, if filmed, would have easily been a three-hour movie. Oh, shit. Uh, the script was used for the basis of a long out-of-print novelization written by Lee Hayes. Um, so that would work for a book to have a longer thing, but I agree. Whoever made the cuts in this movie did it perfect because this is just the right long t- run time. It's almost a little little much in the middle. There might have been a little bit more they could have trimmed, but it, it's pretty good for where it's at. Uh, Carl Zittrer took inspiration for this film score from Toro uh, Takamitsu and his score for the film Kwai Dan in in 64. Uh, Takamitsu used an unconventional scoring method, which included integrating sound effects into the music and turning the music into sound effects. 
Um, so that's kind of cool. I mean, because it did work in this film. Yeah. The crimes of Canadian serial killer Wayne Bowden was, uh, who was also known as the Vampire Race Rapist. So there you go. There's another name: <laughs> the Vampire Race yeah. Rapist. Um, was the case that inspired screenwriter Roy Moore for the the main plot of the film. Bowden murdered three women in Montreal from November '69 to January of 1970. He later relocated to Calgary, where he claimed a fourth victim in the spring of 71 and was apprehended soon after. He was sentenced to four life terms and died in 2006 at the age of 58. Um, so it took, you know, from this guy and obviously from the, you know, the the babysitter, you know, uh, urban legend and the kind of mixed the two together, which is kind of a neat idea. I mean, see, it took them so long to find him if they had pissed him off by calling him the bloody dumbass or something like... <laughs> <laughs> maybe he wouldn't have gone away with it for so long the red wing bastard or yeah. something you know uh olivia hussey played a character who is pregnant but wants an abortion in real life however hussey had just given birth to her son before taking the lead role in the film oh yeah it's like they said that she became the most popular after giving birth to her son yeah it's insane <laughs> uh although this film's original title was silent night evil night it shares no connection to Silent Night, Deadly Night that we're going to cover uh, another Christmas horror film or any of its sequels. Another similarly uh, titled film called Silent Night, Bloody Night it came out in 72 also has no relation to this film. There's a lot of these movies that use the same titles. Wow. Uh, Art Hendel met with Bob Clark at a hotel to audition for the role in the film. Hendel was originally going to play the part of Peter, but because Kira Dulay had uh, already been cast, he got the role of Chris instead, which that is uh, Claire's boyfriend of the movie, the yeah. one that wears the fur coat. Uh, <laughs> Clark told him after shooting that although he really wanted Dulay to be in the film, he would have cast Hendel as Peter if he had met him sooner. Uh, they would go on to collaborate in more films in the future, such as Porky's in 81. Uh, an unofficial direct fan-made uh, sequel entitled <laughs> It's Me, Billy was released on YouTube and uh, Vimeo in 2021. The film follows the granddaughter of Jess Bradford and acts as the first part in a two-part story the filmmakers hope to finish. Uh, it's Me, Billy was nominated for Best Cinematography in the Dramatic Short category of the 65th Annual Canadian Society of Cinematographers Awards. So oh, They should have called it Oh, Billy. <laughs> oh, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Margot Kidder won a Canadian Film Award for the Best Leading Actress for her role in this film, despite the fact that she has less screen time than Olivia Hussey. So you explain that how how that works. Um, <laughs> she stood out more. I mean, Olivia yeah. Hussey was just she was just I know she's the final girl. She was just so quiet, and I wish she wasn't convincing when she was telling the cops to stay on the phone line. I I just think that Barb stood out more. Yeah, she well she was more of an out there personality. Yeah. The film has noted similarities to real life attack on the uh, Chai Omega sorority house in Tallahassee, Florida on January 15th of 78, which is after this movie came out serial killer, Ted Bundy entered the sorority house through a door with a faulty locking mechanism. He killed two sleeping college students and injured two others and then fled in the night. There were several efforts to ban the film, blaming yeah. it for the supposedly inspiring the murders. That's crazy. That's kind of crazy that yeah. Ted Bundy, <laughs> We're, we're hitting a lot of serial killers with this movie. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. 
Nick Mancuso, uh, who voiced Billy, was not on set. Both director Bob Clark and Carrie DeLay confirmed that DeLay at no point contributed to Billy. However, in order to raise more suspicion for Peter possibly being the killer, Nick Mancuso dubbed over six of Carrie DeLay's lines of dialogue in the film. So they're mixing the two of them together. Some lines you hear that, that uh, Carrie DeLay actually all said in person, uh, Mancuso actually recorded over top of at, in the film. That's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Cinematographer Albert Dunk uh, created Pil uh, Billy's point of view shots by rigging up a camera harness that would mount the camera on his shoulder as he walked about the house and climbed the trellis and, and attic ladder himself. So him climbing up the trellis in the movie is actually the the guy, you know, the cinematographer climbing up that whole entire thing. Oh, that's, yeah. Innovative. <laughs> Uh, Bob Clark stated in an interview that he couldn't recall whose eyes was used for the famous shock scene where Jess sees Billy staring at her through from behind the <laughs> door. It was it was possibly Albert Dunk, uh, but it was never been it's never been confirmed just who's staring eyes given countless viewers nightmares all these years later. It, no one has stepped up and said it was me. No, nobody. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's kind of cool. There was actually some random dude in yeah. the house, and it was. They're like, actually, I don't even remember. We just know that they were there, and we thought it was part of the shooting. <laughs> he was just mumbling to himself in the corner. We thought it was part of it. Oh, my God. Uh, actress Lynn Griffin re uh, revealed that her scenes where she's wrapped in the plastic bag, uh, in order to film those, she would uh, rip a hole in the bag, stuffing the opening uh, into her open mouth and poke nose holes in the bag with a pencil so she could breathe during the filming. Uh, being a swimmer also helped uh, holding her breath uh, while she was in the bag. And that's actually how she got the role for the film because they asked wow. her, like, how how long can you hold your breath? And she's like, oh, pretty long time. I'm a swimmer. And they're like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, imagine if you could just go on set and be like, look at how fast I can run my new shoes. And you're just hired. <laughs> Tim Burton, I mean, call me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be your new muse. Yeah. Uh, although the audience never finds out anything about the mysterious killer, or even if his name really is Billy, Bob Clark worked out a backstory for him. He was abused as a child, locked in the attic, and eventually killed his parents. Uh, the Agnes he keeps referring to is his little sister, whom he tried to kill, but she escaped, giving Billy his dislike of girls. Uh, these elements were incorporated in the remake, but, man, they're drastically altered. <laughs> I mean, how they came about them. Yeah. Uh, regarded among horror fans as the first film to come up with a popular convention of a killer calling from inside the house. However, it was preceded a year earlier by the movie The Severed Arm, in, uh, in which a radio announcer is called repeatedly by the killer who the operator soon discovers is inside the studio on another phone. And then a TV movie, uh, Mousy, that came out in 74, which featured uh, Kirk Douglas terrorizing his ex-wife <laughs> uh, with calls that the police eventually trace back to room upstairs. Um, dialogue between the police inspector and uh, Seaberg or the ex-wife is uh, almost identical to that between Jess and Sergeant Nash in the film. Both likely set the precedent for this uh, convention popularized by Black Christmas. So uh, even though it's one of the first films to feature the caller from within the house, the killer calling from within the house, it's not the first technically. Uh, the the convention, uh, let's see, was uh, would serve as the inspiration for the legendary opening 20 minutes of When a Stranger Calls in 79, uh, which would only come out uh, five years later. Both films are inspired by the urban legend, The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs. Hey, I just <clears> watched <throat> The Babysitter. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the same exact line, the calls are coming from inside the house, is uttered in this movie and When a Stranger Calls in 79. So they say the exact same line in those movies. 
the killer popularly known as Billy was never confirmed by name, much like other aspects of the movie, not knowing the killer's identity is meant to increase a sense of fear. According to Bob Clark, not knowing anything about the killer was intended to make him less relatable to have a much more suspenseful impact on the audience. And I agree with that statement because you watch the remake and then they give him all that backstory. You're just like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, I don't, I don't really care what he does now. This piss yellow piece of shit, you know, just like whatever. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the film, Claire and Mrs. Mack's bodies are still undiscovered. And although it's arguably ambiguous, the ringing telephone, an event that occurred after each murder, implies that it is the killer calling once again and that there is nobody there to answer it. The only other person in the house other than the killer is Jess. The implication is that Jess was murdered by Billy just before the credits began to roll. Um, and while writing the script, Roy Moore and Bob Clark would, could not decide whether or not to kill Jess off so, or to let, or let her live, so they decide to write two alternate endings to the film, one where she dies and one where she survives. Neither ending was filmed, was ever filmed, so they decided to leave the ending and Jess's fate ambiguous and stuck to the ending despite interference from the studio trying to get them to you know, go one way or the other with it. Yeah. See, the weird part is at the end of it, there's that cop right in the front door. Is that yeah, a yeah, new cop? Like that's right not, the, the, de- that's the, not the dead one, or is that uh, the yeah, alive but one? He would have heard the phone ringing. He would have heard the phone ringing, but would it have it dawned on him that they think they've caught the killer? <laughs> yeah, it could have been some just uh, like one of the family members calling the house. I or know. Something so that that's point. more of a reason the cops would have went inside and answered the phone, gave information out. Yeah, I, I suppose that's, so. That's true. Well, but, would, it would have been cool if the cop if it showed the cop going inside the house. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, and there wouldn't been nothing to really take away from the ambiguous ending either because he could have been murdered shortly after yeah. going into the house. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It would have been awesome if they kind of did that. Um, so the studio actually wanted it to be where Jess, uh, what their proposed idea was is the cops leave Jess alone with Chris, uh, Claire's boyfriend. She wakes up and, and he says, Agnes, don't tell them what we did. And then he kills her. Clark refused and kept the original ending. So the studio actually wanted Claire's boyfriend to be the killer the entire time, which I don't think fits the movie. And it's yeah. kind of dumb, but whatever. That's studio interfering. And although the film ends uh, with a rather ambiguous ending with Jess laying in her bed and her ultimate fate unknown, um, it is worth noting that Mrs. Mack told the sorority that she was returning home for winter break to visit her sister, who was expecting her. Her sister would certainly call the sorority and inform them that she never showed up, warranting a more thorough investigation of the house. Furthermore, the original monotrack is a line of dialogue in the background where the police officers state that investigators are heading over to look through the entire house for evidence. They would never skip over the attic, especially if there was a, if there is already isn't a decaying smell oh, from, yeah. coming from the bodies. You know what gets me is, okay, so at the end, is that girl inside the, the sorority or is she at the hospital? I thought she was still inside the sorority house. I thought she was at the hospital. Nope. No, she's laying in the bed and they turn the light. One That cop that's outside turns the light off before he steps outside. Yeah, they like sedated her or something okay. and was like, oh, she's fine here. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. She does, she was involved in some serious trauma. She's pregnant. Why wouldn't she be at the hospital? No, well, they don't know she's pregnant. No, they do. Do they? No, they do because oh. the, she had to tell uh, John oh, yeah, Saxon's because of character. The, yes, because of the call. Like, why did why did he say that? I remember. Okay. I'm just saying, on by today's standards, she would have been in the hospital. Today's standards, but. I know, but I'm just saying. Fuck them kids. No, because back then they cared about kids more than they do nowadays. So I'm pretty sure. That's true. She would that's have been. true. 
Um, but they did. The funny thing is, is that I don't know why they didn't run her because they did have the ambulance there to no. run uh, Claire's dad to the hospital because when he passes out, they're like, get him to the ambulance, but they just left Claire laying there instead. So they, they could have ran both of them. It's not like the ambulance couldn't have held two people, you know. <laughs> dead silence. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um Claire's reaction when Billy starts to strangle her with a laundry bag is real as the actress Lynn Griffin didn't know what to expect. So they didn't tell her that they were going to put a bag over her head like they did. That's awesome. And, (laughs) you know, I was, um, I, I, while I was watching that, I was like, she has to fucking die because if she doesn't fucking shut the fuck up and say, what's that? Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Shut up. (laughs) Someone kill her already. God damn. It was Claude. Claudia. Yeah, she thought it was the cat. <laughs> yeah. Fucking cat. I wish the cat had jumped and attacked her ass. God, like, <laughs> shut up already. Uh, when the killer appears uh, at Jess from behind the door, his eyes clearly brown. Peter's eyes are blue. This should have been a tip-off to both Jess and the audience that Peter is not the killer if either is in emotional state to process that information, however. Uh, yeah. I don't think Jess would have been, like, in the frame of mind to be able to Tell the eye which what the eye color was in yeah. the audience. Well, no, you know, that, but it could have okay. just been dark. It's yeah. Let's be honest. It's dark as hell. Just because the movie lighting makes it so we can see it doesn't mean the character itself would be able to see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't buy that she would have. Now the audience can, and that's whatever you want to think at that point. But I don't remember really staring at Peter's eyes long enough to figure out that he had blue eyes either. So there's that. Yeah, same with me. <laughs> Uh, Bob Clark was off screen rocking the chair that Claire's corpse is in, is sitting on with his foot whenever they were to shoot the attic scenes. Um, was she not able to rock the chair herself? Was that a dummy? What is the situation? No, that was her. But she, but I, they probably didn't want her moving oh, herself yeah. because then it would have probably like moved her muscles around or something. Okay. Mrs. Mack's death via meat hook required the use of a harness. According to costume designer Debbie Weldon, a man arrived from New York with a harness, dropped it off, and then left immediately. <laughs> she had to then test it out on the first crew member she saw. Wow. <laughs> Marion uh, Waldman uh, decided to wear a harness, uh, or had had to wear the harness every time she had to shoot a scene featuring the character's corpse. Oh, my God. From the hook in the attic. She did not find this particularly comfortable, by yeah. the way. I still think it would have been better if you had been waiting up there. And came up from behind her and put a rope around her neck. Then it just hoisted her up. Yeah, it would it would have been a better than the the hook through the face and all that. I, it would have been I, we, way more know. brutal. She's just struggling to try to get out of it, and since she's just a drunk old lady, just watching her <laughs> choke out. And then the cat comes and licks her face. Uh. Speaking of that, I don't know that I put it in here, but they had to spray catnip on that pl- on the plastic to get that cat to uh, jump, or you know, like how it's licking uh, Claire's like you know <laughs> uh, plastic. That that was catnip, and then like so she had to sit there in that oh. plastic get up with catnip on top of it, and the cat and the cat didn't like her. Like they oh. couldn't get the cat to stay otherwise. <laughs> like it would jump on her, it would sink its claws into her, and it would jump right back off otherwise. Oh my god, fucking Claude. <laughs> While shooting the scenes of Claire's body in the attic rocking, uh, the cat ran across the floor, and Bob Clark was inspired to add in the famous moment uh, of it crawling on the corpse and uh, all that other stuff that I just said. Uh, At the very end, the phone rings exactly 13 times. So, unlucky number there. Oh, okay. That they threw in. So, we're we're to the ratings, the Death Holler Awards for this this particular show or a movie. 
final girl rating. Uh, so Jess in the original movie, how do you feel about her as a final girl overall? Um, I mean, she was the final girl. The end. You don't have it. I, as far as final girls goes in movies, there are obviously better. Well, yeah, I mean, this, this was the first one. Uh, you know, it kind of set the tone. I gotta, I mean, I gotta say though, I mean, she wasn't like completely helpless. Like some of them tend to be at least for most of the movie. I mean, she did have some gumption for herself. Even if she did that stupid thing about going upstairs. Yeah. Um, and I like the fact that she was non-traditional. Like she doesn't fit the mold. The rest of them do. They're usually the the good girls. And like, she's not to say she's a bad person, but yeah. like, I mean, you know, she, she had the baby, she was, you know, struggling with that whole thing. And like, that's not what the final girls later on would be like at all. Yeah. And I mean, I guess they hadn't really kind of established it at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard because when you think of the final girl, you think of somebody, I guess she did have to be strong in this movie. I think that Lois Lane drunk chick would have been a better final girl. Yeah, I agree with, with Noah Just on that one. Just keep her drunk the whole movie yeah. and oblivious to what's going I, on, and then it narrows her down to being the last character. I think she would have been a better final girl, honestly, too, but at the same time, she's almost setting up a trope herself that would go on later on that clearly the one who's doing the drugs, you know, which, I mean, she's not smoking dope or anything like that yeah. later, but, I mean, drinking the entire movie is the one that has to die for, or, you know, at least one of the first ones to die. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that would have been awesome if she had been the one to be the final one. Comes out of a drunken stumber and everybody's just massacred around the house. <laughs> she's just like she doesn't know what's happened and she's just and she starts going on a big rant like you know when the killer comes at her she's like screaming at him like because well, that girl's already you know. sassy in general like if you follow her character arc through the through the movie from making the joke to the to the to the police officer about fellatio and just having a mouth on her and saying her piece she's already kind of built as a strong woman to a degree so i don't think oh, it'd for be, sure i don't think it'd be much of a stretch to put her in that role it's sober no, up real she, quick if she had to survive. I know. <laughs> um, and, and you didn't watch the, you all did. Well, Urena didn't watch the movie. And then, no, I don't think you watched enough to see the final girl. Kelly in the 2006 remake. She's, she's okay as a final girl. It's Katie Cassidy playing the character and she's not bad. And I mean, she's easy on the eyes. I'll give her that. But at the same time, like she's, she's more of like a happenstance final girl, like throughout the whole movie. She's just, she doesn't really show any like growth as far as like why she should be the one to survive. She just happens to be the one at the end of the movie. That's that was in the right place at the right time, not to get killed. Like there's no, like she doesn't stand out that way. At least Jess shows some background yeah. standing at the Peter. Um, I don't feel like Kelly there's one scene in the movie where Kelly's like boyfriend's kind of similar to Peter because that's what they're going with yeah. as far as like the echo but it doesn't stand out her whole the art she has with him is she finds out that he's been banging one of the other sorority sisters and they kind of break up and fight that way but that's literally the arc and that's yeah. it and then at the end of the movie he comes back and he tries to save, you know, save her and like a couple of the other people that are left and gets killed in the process. And it's kind of like, Oh, well, you know, like, and then they just move on. So she's, she's not my favorite final girl by any, she's definitely way less than Jess. If you compare the two of them. Yeah. Killer rating, Billy, uh, you, I mean, you can rate him for either one. I, I'm just going to tell you right now, the 2006 one is just 
batshit insane and the <laughs> fact that he's like bright yellow and they, they, it, it does not work for me. I don't, I mean, it, it's a little too out there. Yeah. I think he's an effective enough killer. I mean, you got someone who's mentally disturbed, uh, who's able to portray obviously multiple personalities uh, as, as we somewhat witness, or at least at minimum here. Um, and the, and the kills, I mean, they're, 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 they're decent. They, they, he gets it done. You yeah, know, uh, you know, it would be funny if the sorority mom was a final girl. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be one everyone could root for too. You know, what's funny when we get to the next movie, I, I, I want to hear your take on who you think the final girl is. Cause I, I've got my pick and it's not, and it's very non-traditional for who I think it's the final girl in silent night, daily night, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Ms. Mac would have been, made a funny final girl, but <laughs> I'm glad they at least went the route of like having one of the sorority girls be the, be that. Yeah. Uh, Billy, to me, I think, you know, he, 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 he works. I mean, you don't get the mass killer. You don't really see much of him other than that eye through the door. But I do think that him like running the way he did, and he was way more physical than some of the ones outside of maybe Leatherface like that will come across. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can't get that out of Chucky. I mean, that goofy little bastard running around like you, he's not, <laughs> it's not physical with him. It's like, well, you know, what gets me. There's a couple deaths in the movie. Like prime example. One is when the sorority mom dies and that hook gets thrown at her. How come no blood came down? It's one. Yeah. I thought about that too. And I was like waiting for the drop of blood, but at the same, and that would have gave him away. Cause then they could see the blood, you know, well, it was, a, well, it was a hook in the neck. Yeah. I mean, out of all the places you're going to pour blood, that's going to be it. It shot everywhere. It soaked into her ugly-ass pajamas, and then it... Oh, yeah, the ones that she wouldn't <laughs> even uh, wear to have her liver taken out, yeah. if you remember that line from the and movie. Before it could, it before it could soak all the way through, it just... He closed the, the door, so... It would have leaked on everything. I mean, yeah, but it didn't make it, so... <laughs> just saying. Um... So Billy's okay. I mean, for a, yeah. one of the the first, first killers, killers in a slasher movie, it, it's it's fine. He definitely was the inspiration for a few other killers. I mean, for sure, we had some Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there. Yeah, the, they came out the same year, though. That's the funny yeah, thing. Yeah. So I don't know if one inspired the other, or if they just happened to be. That's like uh, the light bulbs went on at the same time. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, best scream in the movie, uh, or actually, no, best kill first, best kill. Uh, so I personally, I did like the hook scene, I but did too. I, uh, and I liked how her legs like wiggled when she was like, you know, hauled up into the attic. Um, I don't know. I, other than that, I don't, I don't know which one I would give that to. Cause I mean, I wouldn't say that. Claire is a good kill. It's just she's so, I mean, when they keep coming back to her, it's, yeah. a creepier, it's the creepiest kill. I mean, that's just best body at this point. But I, I'll tell you why I like the um, hook in the face was because you saw it coming and it happened versus most of the other kills were off screen. I mean, even. Cut, cutaways. Yeah. Barb wasn't even like, yeah, you saw her getting stabbed by that glass unicorn and everything, but it's like. You didn't really see anything. Phyllis was completely off screen, you know. Uh, so was Officer Jennings. Like yeah. you never saw him get his throat cut in the movie. No, and so that that's why I think that the hook one was the best kill. It may not have been like exactly what we wanted it to be, but of all the kills, it was the most seen. 
it was the most visceral of yeah. the kills just because it you know it you, you saw enough to get the full effect out of it yeah um <clears throat> billy's death or mrs mac in the 2006 one is what i would give it to rating that one because mrs mac in the new one it's totally stupid but like uh an icicle falls off one of the garage and like plows through her head like <laughs> all the way through and oh i mean God. that's what i'm saying dialed up to 11 because there's, there's no way that would happen that's there's no way it would go through the cranium and all the way through and puncture through the jaw like it but it does in the movie um billy at the end of it the way he dies whenever uh kelly actually stands up to him uh he falls onto a tree and he becomes basically the angel topper and that's it, that's a neat way to end it for a christmas movie i guess yeah <laughs> Uh, best scream. Uh, technically, I'd give it to Kelly in the new movie because uh, Katie Cassidy can scream better than yeah. all the ones <laughs> in the in the original movie. But I think Jess has a good, a decent scream in the movie whenever she sees Barb and you know Phil or you know dead in the in in Barb's room. But um, yeah, because it wasn't Miss Mac. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't her. No, like she definitely didn't have the best scream. Uh, what do you all think? I mean, in the original movie, who would you agree? Who was the first girl that died? Claire? Claire, yeah. Yeah, that's the death. Uh, something about a good old strangulation, especially with the plastic bag. That's what? <laughs> that is horrific as fuck. It, it is. If you're, uh, I agree with you. I, I gave her a worse scream, though, and I'll tell you why, because she was just a little too quiet yeah. for my taste. <laughs> yeah, she had a bag over her head. <laughs> I know. But maybe you say that would be the best scream. Oh my god! <laughs> the fact that she was able to make any noise at all. Uh, best side character. Best side piece. Uh, for me, it's gonna be God. It's exactly what you said, Miss Mac. But Barb is a contender. It's gonna be Miss Back Mac for me because Barb didn't feel like a side character, even though she was. There's no. You're wrong. The best side character is that stupid fucking cop. <laughs> yeah, but that's your I, opinion of it. He, he was a good side character. Yes. I will agree with you. I, and I had to throw that quote in there. It's like she said, Barb's quote. She's like, did you know, this is a very little known fact, but did you know there's a certain species of turtle that there's a certain species of turtles that can screw for three days without stopping. You don't believe me, do you? Well, I, I mean, how could I make something like that up? I mean, no, really. They just, three days, 24 hours a day, wa-boom, wa-boom, wa-boom. Can you believe that? Three days. I'm lucky if I get three minutes. And the do dad you know? is just horrific in his face. He's just like, fucking what? Do you know how I know this? Because I went down to the zoo and I watched him. It was very boring. Well, actually, um, I, I didn't stay for the whole three days. I went over and I watched the zebras because they only take 30 seconds. Premature ejaculation. <laughs> and the entire time, Claire's father just like staring. look of sheer horror on his face. This is where my daughter's been going. <laughs> I mean. uh, best boobs not applicable in this movie i guess if you want to say best ass it would be that poster that Ms. <laughs> max trying to hide <laughs> um how annoying is the doom prophet in this movie uh, i don't know if there is a doom prophet in this one there there is in the 2006 remake because uh Andrea Martin played Mrs. Mac. She kind of is the one telling the kids, you know, it's like, oh, well, Billy actually, you know, did this. So she was kind of like warning them. But I don't feel like anybody in this movie because they didn't know uh, I think, what the fuck was going on. I think the final girl was more of a doom prophet. Because she was always nervous, always scared, always kind of like worried about the phone. Someone keeps calling. Yeah. 
She was telling yeah, a lot she, of the alarms. I agree with you. Yes, that's a good point. She was the one that was always like she was. She was always telling Barb. She's like, shouldn't we be concerned about this? Like, you know, this keeps happening, and everybody's like, nope, uh, it's fine. This is normal. <laughs> Dumbest decision. Um, <laughs> for me, it's clearly Jess going upstairs after she's been told by that horrible cop not to do it, not to stay in the house. I mean, yes. <laughs> But a very close second was definitely Claire and her going into the closet and repeating, who's there? Who's there? That shit. Who's there? Kitty, kitty. <laughs> God damn it. It was like, just like, seriously. Get the, I don't know. <laughs> you can't, you can't blame Mrs. Mack though. Her death wasn't stupid because she just heard the cat upstairs and yeah. she had no clue there was anybody up there. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck was she, I guess and she let's thought be she was going to grab it. She didn't really like that cat. <laughs> she didn't act like she did that fucking scene where she's like you fucking cat and then the dad yeah just the right there <laughs> that's a, that's another good moment of, of comedy like bob clark is great at the comedy in this movie oh my god um in the 2006 movie i would give it to the stupidest moment to be kyle that's uh kelly you know the, the final girl's boyfriend that was cheating on her uh he goes up into the attic with a killer uh and this is after he's sitting there on the steps going up in the attic. He doesn't have a flashlight. He's sitting there fumbling around for two or three minutes, clearly enough time. And it turns out it's Agnes at this moment. In time. Uh, and and she just yanks him up there. Like she did Mrs. Mac. And yeah. it's just like, you know, like how dumb are you just standing there? You, hey, and they know the killers no, up there, by the way, yeah. they know the killers. In Th- the attic. This is in the 2006 one. This is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How much did she weigh? Uh, oh, she's a big old bitch, and this uh, Agnes is. If you're talking oh, about her, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize she is a mongoloid. <laughs> like she looks, she looks like a. Well, she would probably fit in nowadays if that makes you, you know, understand <laughs> what I'm saying. She <laughs> looks like she could have fought. Just give her some blue the, hair, you know, women's uh, right MMA the- <laughs> with a penis. If you oh. if you catch my drift, well, that's allowed now because not all men have penis. <laughs> Women can have them too. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's uh, it's it's progression. That's yes. that's how we get, you know, uh, you know, advanced society there. You know, it'd be <laughs> a good slasher film to review with my old lady. She's never, I don't think she's ever seen the movie or heard of it. Is Sick Girl? Which one? Sick, Sick Girl. Oh, okay. I don't know that I've seen that one. Oh, <laughs> it's a B movie, but man, it is brutal. Uh, there's a 2008 um, and there's a 2021. So obviously you're talking about the 2008. 2008. I didn't realize they remade the movie. I thought that you were going to go the route of saying after we, what we just talked about that she should see uh, Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance, uh, check out Sick Girl, dude. It's fucking brutal. All right. I'll, I'll try to check that one out. Um are y'all ready to move on to the to the last movie of the podcast? <laughs> I suppose, but before we do, I'm gonna play the closing music and then play the intro music. Okay. Okay. Let's see if I got this. <laughs> 